It's been forever. I know right now it's pretty early over there uh, in Japan. So I strongly appreciate um, you getting up so early and also being so flexible. We were supposed to do this on Friday and my schedule has just been like hell. So um, <laughs> don't worry about it, man. Thank you so I, much, man. I appreciate the, you taking the time. I know that's the one problem with the podcast is it takes a good chunk of time to record and stuff like that. And you have to think about it beforehand. It's not like an interview too much. It's a bit more, yeah, it requires a little more thought than other podcasts maybe. Yeah. So, so I think you may be alluding a little bit to the fact that on, uh, on Friday you had mentioned, hey, give me the eight um, games that you're thinking about for uh, for the podcast. And I was like, I know we're supposed to do this at one o'clock, but I haven't put much thought into this right now. And so I, um, <laughs> to be honest with you, I went and listened to um, – a few of, of, of some of my friends that have, have been on the show before, like Max oh, nice. and, uh, and Rami. And um, I stopped after about 30 minutes of Rami because it's like, oh, man, this person is so much smarter than I am. And <laughs> like all his reasons and everything. So um, you're actually getting me pretty raw here in terms of uh, what you're going to be getting in terms of the content and all that kind of stuff. And That's I'm awesome. sorry, in the background here, you're probably hearing some meowing. You may be. Um, actually, uh, uh, my fiance Clep Bar and I just got, um, baby kittens and, um, yeah, she appears I can to hear be, them. They sound so cute. Yeah. Her cat Cinderella, um, appears to be <laughs> meowing into the closet, uh, something. <laughs> um, so this is super bizarre. They don't ever, ever, oh, now Bowser just ran over and knocked her down, but whatever. Visualize listeners in your head what's happening and it's pure chaos on a Sunday in the Vinyaki household. <laughs> um, we, uh, we just got back from the farmer's market. Actually, my future in-laws are in town right now, all the way from the UK. So, uh, I took them to the farmer's market and we're walking around, we're pacing around and I'm like, I have to get back at one o'clock. And they're like, Oh, how come? And I was like, I have to record this podcast. Uh, I've <laughs> missed it so many different times and you've been so persistent. Liam, so I, I really appreciate you, uh, tracking me down. It's actually, it's been almost a year now, right? Yeah, it's yeah yeah god yeah like i think first started talking like a year ago yeah i mean it was kind of as everything kind of went um uh, kaput you know so that would have been a year ago would have been 2016 it was august of 2016 somewhere around there. that's when i officially yeah. ended up leaving disney but it was right around uh i finished my work at disney and working on disney infinity and i think that's when you and i had begun speaking about doing something and it's just been yeah probably yeah oh. probably not the best time for me yeah well it's, <laughs> uh, i remember the news and i was like oh shit <laughs> yeah it was uh it was, it was crazy and it's um but although you wouldn't be the first person that was saying like hey you want to uh record something with me although your your uh your request was actually uh, a lot different than than some of the other journalists. Then everyone um, else. Yeah, I'm not interested in you dishing the dirt on what happened and stuff like that. I'm more interested in be like, hey, dude, let's be positive about. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I imagine it's not the most positive of times. Yeah, yeah, it was a <laughs> it was a tough moment in time, but um, here we are a year later, and although I can't talk about what I'm working on or what I'm doing, um, uh, I, I think it's pretty exciting, and I hope. Yeah, I uh, mean, eventually, when I can, other people will as well. Yeah, I imagine it's something exciting because, I mean, I didn't expect you were going to be saying anything because even at E3, you, even Jeff at Giant Bomb couldn't squeeze anything out of you. So I imagine <laughs> yeah. I, don't have the, I don't have the powers to do that. Well, either, it's also so. not the best time. I mean, let's be honest. Whenever I go on um, Giant Bomb around E3 time frame, it's, <laughs> hey, let's you know pump you with as many drinks as we can and, um, and have you come on and not even talk about video games or... Yeah. Or any of your stuff, just, you know, let's have it be more of a, let's, let's have it be yeah. more friends, right? 
<laughs> God, I love doing that. I love uh... this year was fantastic. Oh, thanks. You, the 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 impression you did of Adam telling the story about when he crashed your car oh. was so funny. I will. It was uh, so so funny. Yeah, the voice was everything. I and it's funny too because I see people now taking when I did the the face. Um, yeah, yeah. I see people <laughs> taking pout. that now, and they're like, they're like, I see some people memeing it, like where they're writing like, uh, customer service be like, like one person sent it back to me. I died laughing because it was, uh, <laughs> it's just, it's such a funny face. That actually, um, I snuck off to Las Vegas uh, for a licensing expo, which is like an expo for people to come and look at various licenses that can be acquired. And um, Adam happened to be there. Um, and so we met up with each other for about 45 minutes. I was in and out same day, like took a 10 a.m. flight out of L.A., had a one o'clock meeting um, and then had like a seven o'clock flight out. But I saw Adam briefly for about 45 minutes. And where that face comes from is uh, I was trying to take a selfie with him to post onto my Facebook to be like ran into a good buddy, you know, while briefly in Vegas. And I took the selfie and then Adam didn't like it. And he said, why? He says, cause it looks like I have a double chin. And so then <laughs> I took another <laughs> selfie and I, I imitated, I did that face. Right. And then he yeah. looked at it and he's like, Oh, you're such an asshole. And I'm like, why? No, we look, we, we now we look like we like we're brothers. And so then we did it again. Anyway, we took like five of these, um, like we're, you know, self-conscious Instagram girls or something. Right? <laughs> so finally we found the one that we liked and then I don't even remember if I ended up posting it, right? It just it just made me laugh. It was like uh, we went through we went through so much to take the photo. I don't think I actually ever uh, went on to post it, but that's where that that face ended up coming from. And then everyone always used to giggle about my impression of Adam because we had we had uh, been roommates uh, back when we both lived in Chicago for a while. Yeah. And um, so for anyone listening who doesn't know, we're talking about Adam Boys, formerly of PlayStation, now of Iron Galaxy. Um, yeah, you, as you were saying, you guys used to live together. And, yeah. Uh, every year you sort of, along with a few others, jump on the giant bomb couch and have one hell of a time at E3. It's so funny. Yeah, it's uh, E3. And I mean, when they had first started, uh, I remember Jeff saying, uh, why don't you come on the show? And I was in between jobs at the time and uh, and went on the show. And I think that's uh, that's kind of where it started. In fact, my face is still... When you actually type in, like in their search bar for anything on the site, I think it counts down to a bomb. And when the bomb explodes, it's actually my face yelling <laughs> at the uh, at the at the screen. And that's from this horrible photo that made it onto the internet. So it's a photo from my college years where um, uh, I pledged uh, and I, you know, became an active of uh, Kappa Sigma, which is a, a fraternity. That was a fraternity that I, I rushed in school and, um, and uh, I'm a member of. And it, uh, I, one night I, I passed out, as you do, and they shaved yeah. my initials into my chest. <laughs> and I woke up and I just raged at the camera and someone caught a photo of it and it made it eventually made it online. And that's where that infamous photo of me with uh, with my initial shaved into my chest came from, um, which is horrible because it's like the whole precursor to, you know, everyone's like, be careful what you post online because it's there yeah. forever. And this was like, you know, in the uh, way in the, before. In the, yeah. In the 90s. Right. So it's like, ah. <laughs> Anyway, um, good good times. I love those guys. I love that show. 
and uh, it's always uh, it's always such a safe environment to to be in because that of community course. is fantastic. And um, yeah, and I've I've loved those guys and followed them forever. Actually, I asked Jeff this year to be uh, one of my groomsmen on the show. On um, the show, and yeah, you did. Yeah, he's uh, he's awesome. He he's looks very been someone he, that's been called. He looks called, very happy. Yeah, I mean, well, he just he's called me on the phone. Um, in the midst of everything that's happened post Disney and, um, you know, it's like, you know, once every few months, right. I'll, I'll get like a message from him or, or, or a phone call. That's like, Hey, how you doing? Are you okay? Let's connect on the phone. Let's talk. And, um, I, you know, that's, that's more than a lot of people that I thought were even closer to me, even some of my own family members, right. Have, have done. Um, yeah. so he is, uh, and and I think we've been through a lot together, um, all things considered. So he, uh, he's a good he's a good guy. I actually have a pretty good um, uh, stable of groomsmen here for the uh, the wedding of John and Colette uh, coming soon. So that sounds awesome, dude. I'm so happy for yeah. you, especially considering, you know, talking to you at various points over the year, you've had so much going on and so much that you've had to sort of sort out stuff like that it's super awesome to hear that those things are falling into place yeah it's not exactly easy to immigrate someone to the united states at this point in time with uh what's happening in the political system so it's yeah. uh it's it's been uh it's been a crazy journey and um you know it's like it's just, it only gets crazier it's just there's so much going on it's like engaged uh you know in the holiday and uh with colette and then you know now i got baby kittens here and working on some top secret stuff and uh, it's just uh it never seems to stop it's always intense it's always uh <laughs> it's always another adventure excellent well we've done things a little differently this week and we've already just jumped straight into the episode um which is amazing and i think the first time it's ever happened well what, um, but like, John, yeah that's would... funny because what i've heard is it typically doesn't start like this right so no it does I... not we have like a usually an intro to the the episode which i wouldn't want to uh deny you so would you would you like to hear your intro i sure yeah i mean sure it could be if totally to. it, it could be totally factually incorrect to as much as the internet only holds so much information about people okay um but i hope to hit it on the head as i hope always and um you alongside listeners now will be able to sort of judge me straight away <laughs> <whether> <laughs> Dude, it's, it's all good all right let's see do you want me to put but on a yeah. beat for you should i you, put on you, some music well I don't know. Can you beat Bux for like yeah, a minute? Well, not as good as, as Adam can, but yeah, yeah. I could. I just. I'll. I'll do my version. Ready? Yeah, yeah. Go. Okay, right. Okay. So, welcome to Final Games, a podcast about the games that inspired us. Once again, I'm your host Lee Edwards, and thank you for joining me for once again the 62nd episode of the show and the strangest intro to the episode so far. <laughs> and joining me once again to banish another guest to the deserted realms of Final Games, alongside another list of eight wonderful games. Joining me this week is a guest who started out his foray in the games industry by running a gaming forum from his bedroom on AOL in the early 90s. The forum eventually turned into a website that later became affiliated with IGN. 
Due to this leap, my guest had all sorts of doors open to him in terms of chatting with developers, one of which was a studio local to him in Chicago, Midway Games, the company responsible for series such as Mortal Kombat and NBA Jam. My guest landed an internship role at the company in the turn of 2000s, which then led to him getting a full-time position with the company for where eight years he worked in a variety of different roles, such as assistant producer, game designer, senior game designer, lead designer, and then product strategist. He was one of the main leads on the NBA Baller series during his time at Midway. My guest then left the company in 2008 to start to join a new startup called Boxster Entertainment as a development director slash business development manager. <laughs> this was only for a year before my guest left Boxster to then move on to work at Disney Interactive Studios. It's here where for three years he worked as a development director, overseeing movie tie-in titles such as Tron Evolution and the unfortunately cancelled Pirates of the Caribbean, Armada of the Damned. My guest was then promoted to the position of Vice President of Production, and it was here that he oversaw his biggest project yet, the launch of the massive Disney's toy-to-life venture, Disney Infinity, a game series that made Disney well over $500 million. I'm very excited to say that the beatboxing, wonderful legend of a guest that I have this week is the hilarious Mr. John Vignocchi. Hello, John. That's pretty good. I've, like, I've, that's the longest I've beatboxed for. Um... <laughs> And for what it's worth, my cats, I almost stopped for a second there uh, to take a photo, and I didn't because they were both, uh, they had their backs arched and were, uh, and like, you know, just, they're really scared, like, just tails completely out, just totally freaked out, so. They're like, uh, what anyhow, is this guy doing? They're like, this guy is just, like, making noises, staring yeah, in our general ever, direction. I mean, the only sounds I've ever made at them so far, I mean, they're so young, they're kittens, right? They're like, uh, well, they're, they're not, like, kittens, kittens now, like, because they're five months, but... They are so small that the only sounds I've ever made them is like growling and hissing and only growling. So at some points when they're acting out of line, I can do kind of that like, you know, um, like a Lion King style Mufasa <laughs> just to let them know kind of who's boss. Anyway, whatever with that, what is going on? That was a that was a cool intro. That was a good read. I'm not I'm sure. Surprised you, I'm, I'm surprised you even knew what was happening. You were so focused on your immense beatboxing. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly right, John. Thank you so much for joining me, and thank you so finally much for me. getting to this point and having you here. And tell me then, let's just jump straight into it. Tell me then, you sort of started your sort of foray, as I said, in the games industry by running your own little um, sort of website on AOL in the early nineties. Yeah, yeah, why, way back in the day. Why did you do such a thing? Why? I just, what, what interested I just, you about doing that? I just love video games. It's, um, I've always loved video games. It's always been my thing. Um, my father actually uh, is the type of guy that always had the latest and greatest and newest technology. And okay. growing up um, in my household, so I, have, uh, I had two older brothers growing up. Um, my oldest brother, Stephen, um, is super into performing arts. Um, he actually has spina bifida. Um, but he was very much into to, uh, acting as well as singing and uh, did so many different things uh, growing up. Uh, my middle brother, uh, Billy, or, or I should say the, the middle child of the family, Billy, he was also into the arts, um, specifically into music and um, plays a super mean bass guitar. Actually, in my oldest brother, Stephen, who um, did all the acting, um, his classmate was Vince Vaughn, who, of course, has turned in. He's from Lake Forest, Illinois, where I'm from, has turned into a huge um, actor and is yeah. still buddies with my brother. Uh, and then myself, I was always the 
like uh like introverted but kind of outgoing but um really self-conscious and loved video games and so <laughs> Um, you know, t in, in these days when parents complain about like, oh, you know, the kids are playing video games all the time. Like when I was playing video games growing up, um, they didn't even know what to complain about at that point because everything was so new. And a lot of it had to do with because my father would always bring in like the latest and greatest technology. I mean, I remember we had a CD player before we even before I you know even knew what that was and had uh, the Atari 2600, which was my first game console. Um, and then the, uh, I think there was a, was it the 2600? And then I think it's like, I think it was 52 and then 78, but I had all of those. Um, and then eventually got really into computers. And I love the fact that, um, there was online services, you know, so, so of course we had like prodigy and CompuServe and America online, as soon as those were available uh, yeah. on our, on our, uh, huge computer that we had back in the day. And um, that's when I got into America Online. There was a small um, forum for video games. You'd type in keyword VGS and you would go to the video games forum. And uh, there was message boards on there. And like, I mean, for anyone that's listening, like this is like 19, uh, let's say it's like 1991 or 92 that this is all happening. And the video game message boards had um, these different topics that you could go into and talk about related to, to different games, but they didn't have one that was related to kind of helping um, people with games. And so I actually would join at age, I think it was like age 10 or 11. I joined this, uh, this group. Um, and it was all about creating what would be, what would be known as today as FAQ guides. And so um, being based in the Chicagoland area and Midway being like the rock star games of the nineties, right. Where they're putting out yeah. the most incredible arcade games. They would constantly put them out on test in Chicago arcades. And so I had access to those games, like as you would see them and, and remember a bunch of, you, you didn't have really the internet at this time. So subscriptions to magazines were where people were getting all of their, their biggest news. And so um, I would have access to these arcade games and new arcade games that they were testing or, or um, doing modifications to before anybody else. And so um, I'd go to those arcades, you know, I'd meet different people, whether it was developers or fans. Uh, we'd trade hints back and forth based on the latest version of the game that they had put in there. And we'd write these FAQ guides and put them out online and uh, on America Online. So eventually that people started going to the message board that had to do with this video game group that um, I was a part of and would eventually run. Um, they started going to that um, almost as much as they did the chat room of the forum and, and some of the other areas of the forum itself. And so basically they had said something along the lines of like, you know, we get something like uh, 1,500 user hours uh, per month of which uh, 700 is being spent on that forum uh, that, that you guys are running and, that, you know, that I would eventually run myself. And yeah. th so they actually help promote it, turn it into a keyword. And then, um, and then at that point, um, kind of discrete subscription based online services, which is what a lot, how a lot of people got onto the internet. Um, you know, more just being able to access the internet from a web browser became a thing. And so instead of, you know, launching an application on your computer, you were launching, you know, Netscape navigator and you were able to kind of browse the web. And so, um, at the time AOL was, 
um, monitoring our content. So me being in my early teens, I wanted to swear and I wanted the content to be edgy and all this kind of stuff. And so um, everyone was like, look, if we could actually take this onto, um, you know, the internet proper, onto the World Wide Web, we could write whatever we wanted to. And eventually that is what led into the uh, the IGN affiliation. And um, and then, yeah, kind of things went from there. That's That's where I would meet all these guys at Midway who would eventually end up uh, giving me my first kind of real job in video games. Um, and uh, yeah, I just have always been such a huge video game fan. I mean, even with uh, what I had done with Enigma Gaming and all that kind of stuff, we uh, I was a, an assistant manager in an arcade. So as part of, um, you know, trying to, uh, trying to keep a, a good budget in terms of uh, how much money I was spending, I ended up taking a job in arcade so I could get tokens to play all those games um, <laughs> and, uh, and see all the latest and greatest stuff. So I have always been a vidiot, um, and that's what I call myself, um, since, since I, uh, since as early as I can remember. And a lot of it's thanks to my, my father who would always bring in the latest and greatest tech. And also I think I owe something to my brother, Billy, who decided that he cared so much more about playing music than he did the, um, NES deluxe set that my parents bought him for his birthday, that that's actually what allowed me the ability to, uh, to really get into video games like Gyromite. I remember, holy cow, um, how difficult that was to play. Um, but that was like one of the one of the earliest games that I had played. But I can go on and on. Listen to me. I'm just dragging. <laughs> Push me in but the right direction. It's great because you, it sounds like that love of video games, no matter what job you did, in some way was always tying back to that. Like working in an arcade just so you could play video games. Like essentially like well i'm gonna spend my money here i might as well try and do it at a discount and just so i can play games and then writing about games in your free time to turn that into something that essentially became like a job that opened so many doors to you know meeting developers and stuff like that i can kind of understand where you're coming from because i did similar things i would start like blogs and you know this podcast and stuff like that that then opens doors to meeting so many amazing people especially like you had midway in chicago and that kind of thing and being able to open the door to those guys and get that internship and then eventually you know start working there which must have been crazy for you at the time oh it was like just such a dream um as the story goes it was uh it was mark termel um who is the you know, he worked on smash tv um nba jam nfl blitz those games Mark was the guy that gave me my first shot. And um, I remember a guy called me on the phone. I called Mark. So over the years, I had um, talked to Mark several times as part of working on my um, on, on Enigma stuff uh, and on the website. And um, part because I was such a huge fan of NBA Jam when it was first released. And um, I would talk to Mark and he'd give me updates on what's happening with the game or new versions of the game that he was working on. Uh, blah 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 and and it was while I was in college I called him on the phone if you can believe this 26 times I called <laughs> him and left messages saying hey I'd really like to talk to you about an internship and so I had a guy call me on the phone and said hey I'm so-and-so with Midway Games why don't you come down and do an interview with us and um, uh, we'll see if there we can make make an internship position for you over here and so I 
was all excited, got dressed up in my coat and tie, and I went down there. And um, the guy, when I met him, was like, you're not a programmer, you're not an artist, you're a video game fan. I don't know what type of contributions you could actually make to this company. Um, <laughs> and he ripped my resume up in front of me, and he goes, but Mark Turmel wants you to work here, so what Mark wants, Mark gets. I guess you're hired. And wow. that was, yeah, and that was like, that was my, uh, that was how I got into, uh, got into Midway. So I owe a Were lot to Were you ever friends Mark. with that guy again? Um, so I reported to him for a little while and then eventually he left the company, which ended up being the best thing for me because that actually allowed my career at Midway to grow and flourish, um, um, quite considerably because it was tough reporting into him because I don't think he liked me very much personally just cause I was just such a huge video game fan and everything to me was like, you know, just this, everything's brand new. Everything's so exciting. I mean, it is now, I mean, it's, so it's, I, it was I, a little grating to him, maybe, and he was yeah yeah was just, for sure yeah he sounds like a douchebag, um, but <laughs> no 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 no, no. And, and like uh, and I don't that's why I never name his name because I don't ever want him to feel like you know and it could, there could have been a lot of other things going on like you know problems at home or you know that's just his person who knows right so I never, yeah. I never is he still really, working in the industry uh, I'm actually not sure um, I haven't uh, I haven't I haven't looked and, and haven't followed but. Um, but that was the, at the time it was just, it was so exciting to me. You ever hear like Dave Lang, for example, he's, I wrote this, uh, for his birthday, but one of the, I've heard him say before, um, no, Vinyaki's just like that. Uh, and it has to do with just kind of me being like, oh my God, Hey, like excited and <laughs> outgoing and like just super over the top. Because when I start talking about video games and talking to other people that like video games, um, because that was not at all what my, what my hometown was about and the type of people that come out of my hometown and what they do in terms of their careers. Like I think myself and one other person, which we should talk about later, um, have come out of, of our hometown and, and gotten into video games. But that's why I love talking about games because it's just, it was something that was so foreign to me, um, growing up. And so I, I had to turn to the, the internet, um, to express, you know, kind of my passion, which turned into Enigma, which turned into eventually Midway, which is now, uh, you know, turned into a career for me. So it's, uh, oh, it's nice. Excellent. Well, nostalgia, dude. I can't believe how, like, you're bringing so much of this. It's like you're hearing 13-year-old JV right now. That's um, good. And that's the exact kind of person we want to be on the show. <laughs> it's super positive. That's what the show's all about. Being yeah, positive sure. about video games. The love we all have for video games. Unfortunately though, there is a the negative side to this, which is we have to banish you to a deserted island at the end of it. I know. I know, I know, I know. I'm so, ready. Yeah, I hope you can contain the excitement uh, you know, all the way through until the end before Yeah, I will try. The, the, the terrible consequences of be taking on a guest spot on this show. So I hope the excitement stays. I wouldn't it, want to. It, it will stay, actually. Good. And here's here's the interesting thing, especially for for your listeners, for your regular listeners, right? Um, <clears throat> when I started at Midway, um, and I do this to to this day, when I start at Midway, they asked me, "What are the three greatest games of all time?" And um, it's, it's similar kind of to what you're talking about where it's like, okay, you've got eight games to be on a deserted island. Although I like the way that you frame it up better than we do. But to this day, when I interview someone new to join my team or, or what have you, I always say, where are the three greatest games of all time? 
And that's, that's a huge, important interview question because it is so difficult for all of us video game dorks to actually kind of come out and, and be emotional and share memories and those types of things. And to me, whenever I'm building a team and whenever I'm working with people, it's important that it's a family. Um, and that, I mean, just cause the amount of work that you put into it, the amount of emotion you put into it, the creative arguments that you have, um, the, the things outside of your own personal control that can happen to someone. I mean, that's very much just like how a family is. And so whenever I'm building a team, it's always yeah. about building a family and, and, and counting and trusting on the people that you bring in. And sometimes when you just ask regular questions like, uh, Oh, so here's a production problem. Tell me how you would handle this versus this. I, I always ask these types of questions and that what are the three greatest games of all time is, is the most important one because you get into the emotion and the psyche of, of someone and you get into memories and you get into all these things that you might not realize unless you had had a dinner and six beers with someone, all the things that you have in common. Yeah. You know? um, that sort so, of compatibility yeah. So actually, yeah. to bring it to bring it back to Midway, your entire show um, is something that, although again, like I, I prefer the way you frame it up, it's something that um, was asked of me when I first started in the game industry, um, you know, in in production, and uh, I love it. So that's it's a big part of the reason why I did this because it it brings me way back um, to, to kind of my origins in the games. That's awesome. Well, then you'll be well versed in being able to answer the questions and we'll the see. reasons on the show. Then we'll see. We'll see. We'll, we'll see. see. We'll see. And if it turns out okay, I mean, you can you can sort of when you start interviewing people again for your top secret projects, you can you can ask them about the eight games they would take to a deserted island and just see right. just how immensely compatible they are with you. So when I do that, when I whenever I do that now, where I'm like three greatest games of all time, and they're like, well, what do you mean? I'm always like, if you were stuck on a deserted island, you had to bring, and they're like, well, that's a little bit of a different question. And yes. so I instantly actually get the, how does someone respond back to one of these questions when I ask them that actually has, you know, do they correctly identify the fact that it's, it's two different types of questions or do they kind of jump into it? So yeah, um, cause it, it definitely is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, all right, you keep going. Sorry. <laughs> John, I, just, I don't want to send you I, I feel like I, out of most of the guests I've had on the show I feel like sending you to a deserted island is truly like sending a a personal treasure of the games industry oh. to a deserted island I feel like getting rid of you and all those giant bomb shows and all the amazing wonderful interviews you do and the games you make <laughs> and stuff like that is like doing a disservice to the games industry. I feel like that, everyone's uh, going to hate me after this. Yeah, that's so kind. I think as long as there was a whole bunch of like Nest cameras that were built into that island that were live streaming all the stupid shit that I do all the time when I'm by myself, <laughs> I think the game industry would be would be thrilled with it. Um, I think so. We can have like a 24-7 John Mignocchi Twitch channel I'm that <laughs> everyone tunes into. <laughs> yeah, I think people would be blown away with... Um, I mean, God bless uh, Colette for for um, saying yes, because I think people would be blown away with how annoying I am. Um, <laughs> but uh, OK, let's go. So in terms of sending me to the to the um, deserted island. Yes. Um, well, is it deserted or desert? It's deserted. Deserted. We'll, we'll talk. We'll talk about the place in a bit. We'll get we'll get to that. Don't worry. OK. All right. We'll I'll let you lead. You go. But I think 
Yes, but I think it is about time. We should we should bring thirteen year old Johnny out. Bring thirteen year old Johnny V out, right. and uh, let's get him to talk about some games games enthusiastically. So why don't we listen to some music from the first game? Okay, and then let's dive straight into Johnny's final games. No, don't try to touch that dial before you think about that. Don't do it. Here's another record, man. I'm going to keep you locked and loaded on RLS, Radio Los Santos. So jumping in now then to Johnny's first game on his list of eight that he's going to be taking with him to the deserted place in which we will get talking about in a little bit. It's a game that um, I have some knowledge of as I tested mobile versions of this game for about six months (laughs) for a long time on every mobile platform. You can imagine even like iPods and stuff, which trying to do 100% of this game on such devices was a nightmare. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But it's such a great game. A personal favorite of mine in the entire series is a game developed by Rockstar North and produced by Rockstar Games with direction from the, well, now former president Leslie Benzies. It's a part of the Grand Theft Auto series, and it released on the PlayStation 2 back in October of 2004, and has been released on so many platforms since, as I said, mobile ones too that I worked on, is of course Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. John, why is the first game you're taking with you San Andreas? Um, Well, hold on. To be fair, when you said, give me that list of eight, I'm like, these are in no particular order, so you, you are putting this one first. But I guess it is the one that I put first on the list. But... The reason I took, being, I took I took your no particular order and I was like that's a good order. Let's yeah. <laughs> the the reason being is um so first of all Grand Theft Auto um uh as a as a franchise I play I have played my entire life. Um in fact when when I was in school my parents got me a a compact computer and that compact computer had Grand Theft Auto preloaded onto it. And it was interesting because demos as we knew them at the time was a bit like shareware. Um, And what was interesting about GTA was, so this was the top down GTA, which I'm sure you're familiar with. And some of your, some of your um, listeners are familiar with, but it had actually a, um, it was, it was a timed demo. I think it was like three minutes and 40 seconds. And what was interesting about it was that it is, it's, it's, it was almost like a, a different version of doing demos at the time because it was, you know, how much chaos and uh, how much um, insanity can you rack up uh, over the course of this, of this time frame? But uh, so that, that was my first exposure to, to Grand Theft Auto was on my, my compact computer. Um, but when GTA 3 was released and that was full 3D, 
And I remember saying to everyone, like, well, I've been a huge fan of Grand Theft Auto. Um, we should, we should, you know, I was, I was at Midway at the time. I was like, we should pick up this game and take a look at it. And I just, I saw how expansive it was and what it was doing and how incredible it was. I was like, wow, this is awesome. But I didn't actually like New York and the story and the things that were happening inside of that particular game. And then, um, Vice City, right, is is the next one that comes out, and yeah. that one was fun because it's you know it's eighties and it's it's all the you know the music of course so iconic that type of thing. But I have always been a huge fan of like hip hop and rap music. I've always been a huge fan of like gritty crime dramas, um, and I actually uh, had spent. Uh, prior to you know, prior to to Midway, I'd spent very little time ever on the West Coast and in Los Angeles. In fact, like being a Midwest Chicago guy, it was always like, ah, eh, yeah, West Coast. You know, people are crazy out there, whatever. And so, <laughs> um, that game actually gave me uh, the the it was the the story was incredible. Um, the amount of vehicles inside of the game. And how you were able to move around Los Angeles was incredible. I felt like, or it's not Los Angeles. What was it called? It was called, uh, you remember what the name of it was? It was, it was the San Andreas Fault, but what was um, what was the name of, of Los Angeles in that game? Because it, it had a fictional name, yeah? Oh, um, Los Santos. Yeah, Los Santos, right? But the stories that were being told and like the humble beginnings of your character and then where you were able to go and what you were able to do. And I actually loved, um, there was an element of that game where you're able to control, like kind of take over and control different neighborhoods. Um, yeah. You, you could like force out the ballers and stuff like that by like going and fight them and stuff like that. Right. And, but like, um, that's something that went to like infamous, which is something I love about, um, I, I loved about infamous was how like you could start controlling different areas of the city. So there was like that metagame that was also built into it. Um, and just, I remember like just the, the time of day and, uh, you know, pulling up to fast food restaurants and eating and your character getting fatter. And like, I mean, all of those things, <laughs> like whether or not people love those features or they didn't love those features for me, I was like, wow, this is just something I can get so lost in. And I was just completely obsessed with it. And here's your, your funny, you know, tail note to this, which is um, when that game came out and I started playing it and I went really deep into it. Um, Adam and I had moved in together as roommates and Adam was like, you are completely obsessed, dude. With Grand Theft Auto, <laughs> San Andreas. I'm like, dude, have you played this game? It's so good. The voice acting is so good. I'm like, look at these cinematics. These are incredible. Like, this is state of the art. Like, this this developer. I mean, I I fell in love with and still do to this day love Rockstar Games. I mean, Rockstar Games is, is like how Midbay was to me in the 90s. It's just like I have an obsession with the company and all the, all the um, games that they create. But... Adam came in and was making fun of me for playing that game so much. And he was also, uh, Adam was a massive Xbox 360 fan. And, um, and so he was like, plus you're playing it on PlayStation. I'm like, 
what a shit platform to be playing on, right? And it's so <laughs> funny so weird. because Adam would go on to be in charge of third party for Sony PlayStation. <laughs> and so, like, the other day when I was – I actually called him on the phone in, in prep for this. And I was like, dude – what is uh what are what are some of my favorite games? And he's like, Oh my god, I have to re-trigger your memories. He's like, Well, you know, San Andreas was one of your favorites. And remember I was making so much fun of PlayStation and you playing on PlayStation at the time. Um, which is ironic because I would go on to to work at Sony. And so I had to share that one because I've never shared that story before. And um that is uh it's everything about San Andreas plus, you know, everything that's happening to me personally. Yeah. Um when I think about that game, I just uh I, I love it, and that is definitely one of the games I take to a deserted island because it it brings back memory. It would bring back memories of my you know my life um, in the states, uh, close friends, and also you know being able to get lost in a world that was so foreign to me, but I always was super interested in um, is is part of the reason why that's first the first game on my list. So this is more like a nostalgia pick than one of those practical, I'm going to be stuck in a deserted island for a long time. I need something to pass the time kind of thing. I mean, sadly, all of these, just so everyone who is listening is aware, I mean, all of these are going to have some type of personal nostalgia <laughs> slash emotional <laughs> thing attached to it. So um, bear with me as we as we go through this ride here. <laughs> I don't want you crying by the end, Johnny, please. No, no, no. Well, I don't think actually, I can handle that. No, no, no. You've you've done your job correctly, if I am. So uh, let's keep going. But (laughs) like, hold on. Before we do that, I mean, since you had done so much testing on it, can you tell us a couple of secrets beyond what you might have shared before? Or or was there anything that I have said that has triggered some memories of your own about GTA San Andreas? So San Andreas for me, when I think of San Andreas, San Andreas for me was relief. Um, because it came at a time when we were so heavy in development in GTA five and, um, five was finishing up on Wait a the, minute. you were heavy in development on five when San Andreas came out. No, no, no. When San Andreas, the, the like mobile stuff we were testing. Was oh, okay. So okay. We okay. Were, okay. Fair enough. We, fair were, enough. All right. we were releasing all the mobile versions and that kind of stuff. Yeah. No, I, I think I was, was thinking like, to myself like, "Geez, that's uh, that's quite a no, production no, 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 point. no." I think there were I think like five's like pre-production was like towards the end of four, and four was like what two thousand and seven. So five was in development for a heck of a long time though, yeah, way before my days though. And um, I re- I remember it, it like when I think of San Andreas because San Andreas, I was never like the biggest GTA fan growing up. I'm I'm somebody who like played Nintendo games and stuff like that, so I. When I got a PlayStation 2, people were like, oh, you should play, like, you know, GTA Vice City, GTA San Andreas, and stuff like that. Like, they're the big games on PlayStation. I was like, cool, cool. I played them. Vice City was cool, but, like, I kind of... I didn't watch, like, Miami Vice, or I'd not seen, like, Scarface and stuff like that at the time. So <laughs> right. it, didn't, it didn't quite make total sense to me. It was just kind of, like, a fun game where I drove around doing yeah. shit. But like San Andreas, I'd listen to like hip hop. I like skateboarding and stuff like that. So it was a little more, it made a little more sense to me and I, I could understand it a little bit better. And I played yeah. it and I, re- I really liked it because it was so, compared to every game out at the time, it was just massive. It was so big. You right? could like BMX in it and everything like that. And I loved that. Um, but then when it came to like working at Rockstar, most of the time I was working on GTA 5. And uh, while we were heavy in development of five, towards the end of 
initially releasing five on PlayStation Three, Xbox Three Sixty. Um, mm. Before we started doing the next gen stuff, which was by like, the way, did I screw up? Was San Andreas PS Two? San Andreas was PS Two. Yeah, it never made it to PS Three. It did make it to PS Three eventually okay. as a okay. download. Yeah, because I I remember Adam got Xbox Three Sixty and he was playing that like crazy, and I was still on PS Two into San Andreas. That yeah, that because that's the just thing for is clarity. people 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 will be thinking like what, and it's like well actually San Andreas only came out like six months before the xbox 360 did right in 2004 because then the yeah the xbox 360 came out in the i think it's the summer of 2005 <laughs> i don't know wait hold on which is crazy we google you keep going okay tell us more, tell <laughs> us more. yeah but sorry i interrupt you right in the flow of your of your own memory so go ahead this is my fault go ahead. Keep but when i was working on five i got the opportunity to test mobile versions of san andreas right and having and being in a small team which was a first week because i'd been working in such a large team for a while there was only three of us and um i liked san andreas so i volunteered to do it and i also got to have like six months of this brief respite of staring at gta 5 constantly i got to instead work on san andreas so san andreas was like this nice project that i had all to myself that i was doing with like a small team and we were working with the developers on this thing that no one else was working on and it was i didn't have to play five for six months which was great because i ah. i was so sick of playing five at that point <laughs> hey can i ask you um a question developer to developer because i'm always curious right so they had done you know san andreas right and then there's gta5 both la based but I feel like the map for San Andreas was more accurate. Someone in the background listening right now is laughing their ass off. Is more accurate to Los Angeles than GTA 5's map was. I feel like I GTA 5's map was more built for gameplay, and San Andreas was more built to be more accurate. And so I'm curious, you know, as someone that was in the throes of testing it, you know, how did is that true? Is that not true? What's, have, what's the story there? I have no idea particularly if that's true but in the sense that one thing that got changed up was when when for even like into four they were still doing like the three island basis you know how gta games were always segmented into islands and you couldn't go past the first island until you'd done like a certain amount in the story Mm -hmm. then you can move over and then san andreas you can move over to like the next county right and like although they're both essentially the same map like you can go to like you know CJ's neighborhood in GTA 5 mm. you can you can do that and it's there it's just that the scale i think is a lot different I, I i don't know whether it's because you don't notice it because the scale seems so big so everything seems a lot stretched out like you know Venice Beach and everything in GTA 5 is like perfect representation right. and stuff like that I, I don't know if it's just because it seems larger whereas with San Andreas you noticed all of the main spots of like la and stuff like that within a few bmx pushes <laughs> i'm not really sure right, right um but it was still so, it was still segmented into the sort of you had to do a certain amount before you could move on whereas with five you could just go anywhere you wanted immediately and do whatever you wanted that's interesting i mean so for what it's worth here's here's the jokey side of it we were um i took colette to uh the Beverly Center, I think that's what it's called. It's the it's the it's the mall that's um, over by the SLS Hotel and whatever. Anyway, I was like, 
And this is the place where in GTA it was actually a really quick shortcut because you turn left here and this ramp that we're driving up right now as we were going to a target. I'm like, this ramp we're driving up right now in GTA, I would always just hit the gas and jump right over this and go into the air <laughs> to make it away from the police because they'd always get stuck. Hey, good looking. Speaking of which, she just you're doing what? Colette just walked in, guys. Oh, you're going to take the cats for a walk? Okay. That's a thing that's happening. <laughs> no, you're not disturbing. No, no, don't worry. Everyone's okay. Will you make sure you bring some water um, so that they don't get? Oh yeah, not me. It's just for the cats. They have fur. Okay. All right. Awesome. Anyway, I was just telling the story how I took it. Was it the Beverly Center? Where would we go to that Target? Right. And I was like, remember it in Grand Theft Auto? This is where. Oh yeah. 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 Anyway. All right. Sorry about that. So. <laughs> did you hear that no there's from the british girl in los angeles she goes la is just one big gta game she said not in a violent way just in terms of the location not in not in an american kind of way right not in the uh yeah exactly anyway so sorry about that so okay so just so i can go back for my own clarity um yes. so the the so GTA five was actually larger in terms of its overall scale. Yeah. Uh, and it was a lot bigger. Its locations were more detailed. Okay. Wait. Yeah. yeah. So they were the same, but they were more detailed and it was, it was arranged differently. Now it wasn't like segmented into three different islands. It was, you know, it was this big one big Island that was split into counties that sort of all melded together, but they were taken from real, places i mean i don't live in california i don't know to the extent but the the i always remember that we were doing something right because i used to watch the tv show californication okay if you've ever seen that and the intro to that is like basically lots and lots of aerial shots of california Mm -hmm. and i could i could pick out everywhere in those aerial shots being no way that's that that's that that's that and they looked exactly the same in gta Wow. Yeah, I was always like, they did an amazing job making the map. Like, it's amazing. And I remember watching way, videos. When we released the game, I remember watching videos of people going to the locations in the game and then just being like, it looks exactly the same. It's crazy. So there's, yeah, the guys who made the map hit the nail on the head in that in that regard. Yeah, I mean, I just, I, at some point someday, I want to just, I have so many questions about all of this stuff. Um, it's just uh you know for especially i mean since you were in qa you know the ins and outs of of all of it but man one day i just love to interview someone just ask all the questions i've ever had in my brain about it but one more thing before we move on um from the from the or back to the deserted island with my with my next game um i've worked in in game industries for the game industry for almost 20 years now right so um with QA guys, I always, I mean, those, those are like the, you know, the, the best guys on your team in terms of like a memory or something funny or, Hey, it's Sunday. And you know, the guys have been here since two in the morning, they're testing something, whatever. What I want to ask you is what is like the funniest bug from San Andreas that you can remember? Like the one that just sticks out the in your funniest head. bug from San Andreas. Yeah. Um, have you ever been asked this before, by the way? 
No, 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 not oh, like okay. that. Not in terms of that. I'm trying to remember. Like there were some pretty good ones, but by the time that we were getting it on mobiles, obviously it the game had been out for like what five years. So sure. it it was pretty polished to the extent of being a final product. But when we were putting it Rockstar to the mo- yeah. yeah, putting it to the mobile though, it obviously had a couple of things. Like um, we had like issues with the vehicles just accelerating like without stopping like the the vertical speed in the game was broken <laughs> so the vehicles would just keep gaining vertical speed so you can like be from <laughs> so we would use it if we were doing like 100% runs and mm-hmm. i remember for like maybe a month it wasn't fixed there were certain vehicles in the game especially i think it was motorbikes where you could basically just like instantly teleport across the map by just going down a big straight like you'd find yeah. like a big straight and you'd get like enough speed, um, not vertical speed, horizontal speed. So essentially the, whatever, um, you know, the top speed of the bike just didn't exist. You would just keep getting faster and faster and faster. So, so you could did you actually, did you create, so this is an interesting bug. So you're telling me that, um, the faster you were going on the bike in the, in, in the mobile version, right? The faster you were going on the bike in San Andreas, then, um, it would actually, would you, would you eventually pick up velocity then and start flying is that what you're saying yeah you yeah you would essentially just keep going and because you could turn off the collision of the player <laughs> right. you could you could just pass through everything so it would wow. all the lot would just become blurs it would essentially you'd be like you know when you fall under a map in a game and all the lot gets fucked up and all that kind yeah, of stuff yeah. it would do that but the thing is you could sort of you could still sort of pause the game and tell where you are on the map like it was still updating the coordinates of where the player was because it's you were incredible not... it wouldn't crash yeah no like, it's, it's yeah that. i have no idea why it didn't crash like i don't even remember doing that and it crashing like it, it worked and you could still pause the game and it would update you of where you are on the map so you could kind of like if you needed to go somewhere super fast you could like do that and then turn off the collision of the player and just speed through all the buildings, all the vehicles, everything, and then like update on the map, and then just sort right. of like decelerate just, as fast yeah, as you it's could. Dynamically loading assets, right? And then yeah, yeah, a exactly. Of detail. That's why it was blurry. Okay, cool. So that's the funniest stop. though. That, well, that was the one that sticks in my head the most. Like because it was like a polished game, it was mostly testing that you could play the game one hundred percent without crashing or having like A class bugs appear. Right. Five, five had loads because five was a game that was in development at the time. Five had mm-hmm. so many. There were like bugs where like Trevor's clothing would disappear and stuff like that because <laughs> because that guy was always in his underwear. So we had like there were times when he'd wear suits and stuff, but mm. most of the time his clothes would just disappear because the main model was basically him naked and stuff like that. You know, there yeah, was yeah. like. We used to have, oh, there was like times where Trevor would fuck like plastic toys and stuff like that that never made it into the game and, and bugs to do with that was, was that so was funny. that the version was san andreas the one god i feel like an old man all right was san andreas the one that had that weird thing that got got those guys yeah in so with? yeah so the hot coffee thing but that was like that was taken out of the mobile version so that didn't exist anymore obviously right yeah <laughs> yeah so that didn't exist um, you're right so i, I didn't i didn't get to see any of that, that. only only in stories yeah full circle though full circle though one of my previous guests on the show norman who is the gaming historian Mm -hmm. um 
he um, recently released a Blu-ray DVD of like his first series of his t- of his show, and um, he asked me to do like um, voiceover for a episode he was working on, and it was a GTA episode, and it okay. was about the hot coffee mod. Okay. So if anyone doesn't know, Google hot coffee, you'll find it very quickly. It was a mod. Not a mod, but it was like a part of the game that could only be accessed through mods that was essentially like a sex mini game that was a part of San Andreas. Um, God, there's there's a weird midway connection there, by the way. I remember when all of that, sorry, quick tangent, when all of that went down, um, I, I had done a development diary for um, 1UP. Uh, 1UP.com was like a great video game website back in the day. And... I had done a dev diary for that, and I remember PR was like, um, how do you want to do this? And I'm like, look, I don't have the technical prowess of an artist or a programmer, because I'm not, to go back to the beginning of the episode. I'd rather tell some of the fun stories. And one of the stories that I told was we were having issues when I was working on NBA Ballers with um, getting it approved, uh, getting the ESRB to approve um, some of the things that we had in the game because um, they were, like, we had, like, at one point we had like bulletproof vests that you could do like for creative player and like silly stuff because it was the early two thousands in the, in the height of uh, the whole bling bling MTV yeah. cribs era. And <laughs> I remember that um, as part of attempting to build a relationship with the ESRB at the time we came and we delivered a fruit basket to them um, as thanks for having a meeting with us to talk about some of the things that were a bit more questionable in order to make it rated E for everyone. Yeah. Um, and then I remember when hot coffee came out, like press was referencing back to the dev diary that I wrote for one up.com about, you know, well, this guy from midway, uh, you know, provided fruit baskets and making it spinning it. in like, it was a bribe thing, right. Oh, Which it wasn't at all. Shit, it was just trying no. to be nice. Right. But, <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Anyway, sorry for the the side tangent. I don't think I've ever told that story either. Anyway, um, so yeah, the the hot coffee mob. Wow, that's that's incredible. Yeah, and that was a massive. That was a massive, massive problem for Rockstar at the time, and they lost a lot of money because of it. Um, but yeah, that never made it into the mobile versions. Obviously, I think Rockstar right, was done with fucking around with stuff well, like there that. There used and- to be there used to be a rule with first party where the entire disc had to be full. Like in order to get your game approved for manufacturing, the entire disc had to be full. And um, I know like, I'm not going to say who or what company, but I remember they put uh, an episode of South Park. I think it was like the original South Park um, uh, uh, pilot that they had put um, onto the disc in uncompressed video as a way just to, to fill <laughs> just it to up. fill out the space. Right. Um, so, yeah, there's so many funny... Like, I mean, the, the game industry prior to, to what it is now, I mean, it was such the Wild West uh, back in the day. But, all right, so to go back to the bug, to, to finish off that thread, right? So um, the velocity thing is funny, but when I think about the fact that you probably had to localize it in so many different languages, was there any fun, like, localization stuff, for example, where... Uh, or 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 translation stuff that you had done, where it's a voice actor had said something different that was on the script, or anything fun like that. I've got no idea about maybe in the original development, but on the mobile version, because of the game being, you know, pretty polished and having been out already, like yeah, yeah. most like most of the fun stuff was was gone. It was mostly just testing that we didn't have a star crashes, um, yeah, and stuff like that. Um, we had loads of stuff on GTA Five that was going wrong and stuff, but not specifically on San Andreas. 
God, was that game so incredible too? Yes. <laughs> Sorry, I could go on. I could go on and on. I will say this though. Um, I have in the past talked about um, Saints Row, which you know people like to try and compare Saints Row versus uh, versus um, Grand Theft Auto, especially early on. But yeah, uh, there was Saints, that time. Yeah, but the Saints Row games. I mean, talk about a riot. Those are always so much fun to play as well. And, you know, always had everything that you always wanted to do, like you as a tester may have run into, right? They they gamified that, so to speak, in uh, in Saints Row. I was, anyway, those, those open world games, and especially San Andreas, there's so many memories. It's escaping to another world for me. Um, so many different game mechanics. I just, uh, I, I love it. It's a fantastic one. Excellent. Well, we're going to sort of, Move on away from Holy cities shit, we're and an hour in. We are. We are <laughs> Sorry, already. Everybody. Like the time when you're having fun, man. You're just yeah, delaying yeah, yeah. going to the island. Like you're just yeah, worried yeah. about the island, aren't you? You're just a little worried about that. But we're going to have to talk we'll about go. it now. So right. let's listen to some music from this next game. Okay. Let's dive straight into that. And let's, of course, talk about the island in which we're going to send you as well. Okay. So before we start talking about the second game on Johnny's list, we have to talk about the deserted place in which we're going to send him as well. So, John, we give you the choice, actually. We allow Tell you me. to make this decision for yourself. Okay. And there are some stipulations and rules about the, the island. Of course, it's going to be deserted, so there's not going to be anyone there. But also, it has to be from video games. It has to be a place from video games. So it doesn't have to be an island. It can be just a space or a world from video games. But there's not yeah. going to be any NPCs that can help you get off. If there is, like, wildlife that's dangerous, like animals or, like, monsters, well, they're yeah. going to be there because they're a part of the wildlife. So you have to think about right. that. You don't want right. to die. Yeah. Um, but other than that, you get to choose. In terms of a – so it's a location that I'm going to, right? Um, yes. That is a completely deserted place except for enemies. No NPCs. So no helpers? What no about helpers? shady NPCs? No shady NPCs either. No, nothing that, that could, could potentially... be villains and eventually I can make friends. Well, that if you could do that, that's that's pretty amazing. So maybe. Oh, you can. I mean, like, I'm, yeah, okay. I mean, fair enough. Um, I mean, I'm just putting you there. Everything hmm. else has to come from you afterwards. I mean... I, to be honest with you, and this is one of my games, is it okay if I lead into it? Yes. Um, so I'd, I'd, I'd like to go to, to Melee Island 
um, which is a location from Secret of Monkey Island. Which coincidentally, my friend, yes, is the next game on your list. I know, I know, I know. Right, <laughs> this one is uh, so. This one, everyone, prep. Uh, this is soup. This is a super emotional one for me, um, and uh, it's an emotional one because I, uh, I, I love Lucasfilm. I love those Lucasfilm games. Um, everything that they that they ever did, um, but Secret of Monkey Island. If you were to say like, oh, hey, we're in a creative player right now and I'm going to make ingredients to make Johnny V. What are those ingredients? Um, Secret of Monkey Island is and that franchise and Lucasfilm games that are built on that scum engine. Yeah, it's like a good 30 percent of me. <laughs> and um, it's uh, it like it is it, it's so deep, but. The thing is, so let's let's go back to you know that that '90s time frame. Let's go back to me not having a ton of friends that liked video games, not nearly even close to the level that I, that I liked them. Um, let's go through, yeah, you know, even even personal times in my life. Um, my parents are uh, are separated, or but we're in the process of of being separated at that time. Yeah, and um, those games basically were just my escape and secret of monkey island was to be honest with you i, I used to go into egghead software and attempt to buy leisure suit larry because i liked the art on the front of it and i thought it looked funny on the box and you know here i am as a as a young kid and pervy and weird right and i'm like oh this looks like a sex game that's gonna be fun like um <laughs> but the <laughs> the which is a sierra game so it's a little bit different but the the secret of monkey island when I saw that, I was like, well, this looks pretty cool. Dude has a weird name, Guybrush. And, you know, loading up those games, playing those games, the sound coming through my PC speaker of what it is, um, you know, I, I could I could still hear it. Um, and the graphics of those games also at the time were, were pretty awesome. Like the, the, the painted backgrounds that they had, but the dialogue inside of those games and the ability to kind of choose... And for people that are listening, I mean, this is like way back in the day before like branching dialogue and, you know, choice and consequence and that type of thing. Like it was. Well, this came out the year I was born. So that's how old it is. Because I really? feel. What year was it? 1990. Mm. Yeah. That was. Um, yeah. Those were some 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 formidable years in my life. I mean, this, that's part of. Yeah. Building my character. It's so anyway. um, but yeah, Ron Gilbert and uh, and Tim Schafer. I think Tim Schafer was a big part of, of writing that. I know he was. Um, yeah, he was a designer on it. Yeah. Yeah. With Dave Grossman. And yeah, yeah. Um, those games were such an escape, and they were such a great mix of story, um, beautiful graphics f- for the time being, um, or for the time that it was, um, uh, uh, choice. And, and the other thing too was it was really difficult to die in those games. Like it was really difficult uh, in all of those LucasArts games at the time where it, like to actually like fuck up so bad that it was like game over. Right. Um, it was always a hilarious outcome to the decisions that you would make. Yeah. Um, and if it was the wrong decision at the time, right. If it was the wrong decision that you would choose, there was this unique and clever way of bringing you back around to eventually go and make the right decision. And it's something actually that's, that's a part of, of 
my DNA as a developer, which is always like, hey, um, there are creative solutions to every single problem that may present itself to you when in development of a video game. And a lot of that was, was, you know, or some of that I think is ingrained in me because of, I would make the wrong decisions all the time in Monkey Island, right? And it would always bring me back to like, there is a correct path and this is what the correct path is. But exploring that world, all of those unique characters, all of the funny things that they said, um, the ways that they reacted to you, um, you know, watching your character walk from one side of the screen to the other, and many times far off into the distance, and watching your character get smaller and smaller as they walked off into the distance, and, you know, getting up close to the screen and looking at it and thinking to yourself, you know, what's behind that tree that they drew there? And almost like a book, using your imagination to fill out the parts of the environment that they actually didn't put in there themselves. Yeah. Um, that was just there's so there's so much there and it's a great mix of storytelling it's fun uh gameplay um it's fun puzzle solving as well like i actually am not a huge fan of puzzle games but there was a lot of puzzle elements um um that were inside of those games and man i mean we're totally uh you're getting you're getting raw raw me right now so i'm kind of embarrassed but I remember they had like a one nine hundred number that you could call to get tips on the game. It was like the Lucas Lucas Film or Lucas Games hotline, and you could call the number, and they would give you tips on how to beat those individual sections of, uh, of the game <laughs> where you're stuck. Um, but Monkey Island, to me, and like that whole story of like the, you know, the hero who's like kind of shy, thrust into a situation, he's going to do the best that he can. The the powerful female in um, Governor Elaine, who reminds me so much of Colette, right? Who's, you know, strong personality female. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, uh, ghost pirate LeChuck, who is, who seems so horrible and seems so bad. But then there's always these moments that you would get in the cutscenes of the hilarity to show kind of those day-to-day -day moments that he would have with the different members of his crew or the situation that he was in that really humanized him. Um, it was just, it's just one of those that, uh, it just is, it means the world to me. So yeah, that's, that's one of them. Even, even if I'm on, um, Melee Island and, and I have only these eight video games and one of those doors I could never get into in Monkey Island where you always, you always ask yourself, um, I wonder what's behind there. Um, if it's me hidden inside of there playing with those eight games, I'd, I'd love to be there. <laughs> actually it was I, it's funny in one of them i think in the first monkey island you can't get into one area and you always feel like you should be able to and then i think in monkey island two or maybe it's three you actually pop out of an area and guybrush says like well this is weird um and you're actually back on melee island and you're in this area you could never access in the first game um <laughs> i just remember like oh it's just so clever and um, even that must in my have been own... so frustrating because that game is all about trying so many things to make something happen that maybe doesn't seem like it can happen and then it does happen. And right. You're like, oh, okay. So the players must have spent hours and hours and hours. They must be like, this is here for a reason. Like everything in this game has a reason. Yeah. We just got to keep trying. Got to keep yeah. trying. Yeah. But it never was anything. And rubber chickens, like even now when I see a rubber chicken, I always like, I you know, which is rare. It's not like I see <laughs> rubber chickens all the time. It's just like, every day. Well, oh, yeah. there's a rubber Whenever chicken. Whenever I happen to run into a rubber chicken. Anyway, when I see it, 
when I see it, I, it just instantly, whoom, I mean, just warps me way back. Hey, you. <laughs> How was the, uh, the cats do okay on their walk? Yeah, she's funny. What happened? Ginger's like, she, she want to come in? Surprise. Okay. Sorry for all the listeners right now. I just, you know, as I'm sure you all know, and those of you that are cat owners, taking cats out for walk is not something that they typically do. Um, but Colette. I don't want them to lose their catness. Katniss Colette has them on leads um, or yeah. leashes, as we call them here in the States. Yeah. And um, takes them to the park regularly. Um, their skills? Then we should get real animals to feed them. Like, not real animals, like mice and that kind of thing. That's pretty horrible, too. Anyway, all right, let's go back to it. I was just, you, I'm glad you came in because I was on the verge of tears. Not really, but close. No, 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 no. Uh, I was talking the about the memories. The memories have come flooding back. Yeah, the memories of, of that. And, um, it was actually something that, um, interesting enough, would come into uh, later on in my in my career in games. When I was at um, Disney, there was uh, uh, Adam, right, who was uh, over at Sony at the time, and and Gio Corsi, of course, was a huge part of this as well, and John yeah. Drake and all those guys. But um, I remember I was invited to Day of the Devs, which was something that Double Fine was putting on. Yeah, and. Um, I met uh, Justin Bailey, who was running um, BizDev at the time over there, who basically was like, hey, so Adam says that you're a cool dude. Um, and, you know, I work at Double Fine, work with Tim Schafer. Of course, he made all these these games. Um, he has been trying for years to bring back Grim Fandango and, and um, some of the other titles that he worked on um, while at LucasArts. And... Um, it's always been really, really difficult uh, with them in the past. But now that Disney has acquired Lucasfilm proper, and of course those titles are a part of that, maybe you can help out. And so um, Adam was the one that brought me to Day of the Devs and introduced me and introduced me to, to, um, to Justin and to Tim Schafer. And it was actually, it was funny because Justin was like, dude, wait till I tell him you work for Disney, watch his face. And so, like, he introduced me. He's like, hey, this is Johnny V. He's kind of a cool guy. And Tim's like, oh, hey, nice to meet you. He's like, he works at Disney. I remember Tim's face, right? <laughs> it was like, by the way, you're in the middle of my fucking party. And, like, everyone's here having a good time. And now I have to meet someone. Like, dredged up some funny memories. But that was my love for the writing in that game and all the work that Tim had done on that game, plus the own his own games that he had directed, Yeah, um, was part of what created this 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 quest this conquest for me um at disney to give him the ability to recreate those titles and bring those titles back and um i remember pr and legal i remember being in you know internally right the, why yeah, would yeah. we ever do this why wouldn't we we own this now this is what was part of the acquisition why would we give this back and and of course there's business reasons but there's like you know why would we do this and, and put so much behind this. I, like, and the one thing I kept on saying was, it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do for gamers. It's the right thing to do. And I, I to this day, you know, live by that principle where it's like, it, it's the right thing to do. And all of those memories of playing those games growing up and enjoying those games and the hard work that those guys put into those. And look, I, I personally am someone that has gone through 
you know, when you, when you think about the infinity stuff, right? If, yeah. if that was to ever come back um, and there was a young Johnny V at Disney, I would hope that they would, I would, I would want for them the same way I did with Tim to be like, no, we, we need to actually bring this person back. If we shouldn't redo these, that's, that's not us. It's the person who actually was, was a big creative force behind it. All of the people that worked on this game should be the ones that, that come back and do this type that of thing. That do it. Yeah. Yeah. And so anyway, um, yeah, monkey and, and, you know, it was a big part of it. There's actually tweets from when we talked about the Lucasfilm acquisition, like, uh, who would you love to put inside of Disney infinity? And I would talk about Guybrush Threepwood and I would talk about ghost pirate LeChuck and I would tag Ron Gilbert. I would always say like, there's no way we would ever do that without the direct involvement of Ron Gilbert and Tim Schaefer. Yeah. And that all has, <laughs> it's just like, it's a respect thing. Actually, I think that that was part of kind of growing up midway. Um, it's kind of like your was, own little homage to yeah, your favorite. I mean, it's the school of hard knocks. I mean, the video game industry is a small industry and, um, and you have to always remember to be, to be humble. And you have to always remember that there's someone out there that's smarter than you and someone that's going to work harder than you. And, um, it's about being collaborative, right? It's, it's yeah. never, I did this or I did that. It's we as a team. So anyhow, um, secret of monkey Island is in Melee Island. I mean, just places into this day. I still love the Caribbean. Um, I love anything it has to do with sunsets and ships and pirates. And I mean, that kind of stuff, it just, it, it makes me so excited. I mean, rare's new game, um, what they've been working on for a sea long time. Sea of Thieves. Oh man. Like I'm so excited. excited. Does it? Dude, I'm so excited to dive into that. Um, <laughs> I mean, like, look, if you turn, if you turn and ask any Assassin's Creed fan, like, oh yeah, by the way, what's the best Assassin's Creed? They're instantly going to point to Assassin's Creed 2, right? Um, with uh, Ezio and and um, yeah, and that. But then they'll quickly say, "Oh, Black Flag, though." Was but the one that awesome. has pirates in it, right? I mean, that's the one. I bet if you actually, if you ask someone at Ubisoft, like, give me the data back that says how many trophies and achievements across the Assassin's Creed's games. Which one has the most? I bet Black Flag probably has the most, and people invested the most time I in think that particular is, one. There's definitely proof of that now, considering that they're making the sort of almost Assassin's Creed 4 spin-off game. What is it? The Skull and Bones or whatever it's called? Oh, what? yeah. I mean, does that That's... thing look like it missed the uh, the Pirates of the Caribbean license or what? Like, I was laughing. I was like... Either someone pissed somebody off there in that moment because that should be the ultimate Pirates of the Caribbean game. I mean, I was working on that, uh, as you pointed out in the beginning, right? The um, the Armada, Armada of the, the Damned. Damned, yeah. Oh, man. That would have been... Oof. Anyhow, but yes, to your point, that's totally <laughs> correct. Like, it's... Uh, when you when you start thinking about the uh, that that pirate game, like Skull and Bones, oh. But Sea of Thieves looks cool. It's a, it's a hard one to demo. You just give him the Colette's looking. It kind of has the humor it. of a Monkey Island game as well. Yeah, like they're going yeah. more for pirate humor than they're going for like the Skull and Bones more seriousness. Um, By the way, have have you ever met Tim Schafer in person? I have never had the opportunity. I've met Greg Rice on a few occasions. Who's yeah, sort of who's also yeah, okay. So he's fucking awesome. Um, he's by great the way, guy. He's someone that we need to invite to our wedding because I love him. Um, so yeah, he's awesome as well. Um, but when you talk to Tim. To me, anyway, it is like talking to it's like the responses that come out of him and the things that he says. And I mean, 
kind of like how with Rami is it's like oh man this guy's so much smarter than I am the th- the things that he says are so funny it's like it's it's like talking to a character from any of the games he's ever worked on and um actually uh you know not only Monkey Island um but Grim Fandango more importantly the um he he actually directed um that's Colette's favorite game so one of the one of the first things that actually connected us um, not only on top of our love of video games, but the fact that we love those old school LucasArts, Lucasfilm, nice. Scum Engine games. And, That's um, awesome, dude. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, all right. So Very sweet. Well, you going. need to. Sorry. We, we need two things. You need to invite Greg and Tim to your wedding, and I need yep. to somehow get Tim on Final Games eventually to hear what his eight games are. And then oh, man. Send you, you away imagine? to a deserted island. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I, could, I can probably help with that. Help reconnect them with uh, the Disney guys. Well, sure. I'm sure this will be a momentous life occasion for him being in his own final games and getting no, his IPs back. <laughs> dude, he's no, no, no. He's he's super humble. He's super cool, and um, you know, a great example of someone that's uh, a great person to a great leader in the game industry. Um, Excellent. Yeah, he's he's, he's, he's really he always seems person. like a cool dude. The Double Fine documentary was quite amazing to watch. Always sort of down to earth. Always just wanting to make a good game make a right. good game that's yeah always right what thing. i got from tim feelings wise yeah. that was like his a like his plan a all the time like nothing yeah. else was important let's just make a good game yeah. that fans will enjoy but all we're right. gonna have to talk about the next game that you're gonna mm-hmm. be playing on melee island so you're right. comfortably in surroundings you know all too well drinking um, grog yeah drinking grog in the scum bar um yep. on those twilight piratey nights with all the ships surrounding you which is a pretty good place to be i think you're the first person to choose this place as well so it's one of the characters on that island i've been told i haven't been told but i've been made to feel like so stan who is the used pirate ship captain um if you've ever seen this character and how he talks and how fast his mouth moves and (laughs) he's moving his arms and that kind of stuff i always i always would look at that character and sometimes i think like in moments like this when i'm when i'm talking to you and i'm i'm kind of nervous but also excited and passionate (laughs) about video games and hope i don't sound stupid to your listeners and all that kind of stuff it's like no i think of that character all the time and um and that so anyway um keep going sorry i interrupted you again god i'm the worst But I'm having I'm having a good time if that means anything. No, this is excellent. This is exactly what Final Games is all about. Talking about these games as if they are the last games we'll ever talk about, and being so passionate about such things, and bringing back all these memories. But the next game we're gonna have to talk about then. We're gonna listen to some music from now. Okay. Let's of course dive straight into it. Okay.
So now the next game on your list, Johnny. Like I feel like there is got to be some Johnny stories behind this game. It's one of the biggest, most addictive games of all time. Everyone knows. It's the big MMO from Blizzard that released back in 2004. It spans generations of players now and had so many expansions. It's still played by multiples of millions of people today. It's even had a film based on it. It is, of course, the massively multiplayer online role-playing game, World of Warcraft. How many times, by the way, has this been a game that people have said, all right, this is, you know, just a spy on your show? I think this is, I think it's probably, well, what, 62 episodes in? I, I can at least recall at least about eight times. Oh, this. fuck. All right. Well, so, I, so it's not original for, for your listeners. It's not, but, but it, it, it's self-explanatory, which means it's okay. Right. We there were some there were some there were some games that have appeared on the show multiple times that are maybe less self-explanatory I feel and maybe rode the wave of popularity at the time. I think Witcher Three was one that was very popular for a while. Um, right. It right. Was such right. a groundbreaking game. But when you think of World of Warcraft, it's so self-explanatory as to why you would take this to a desert island. Not only for the memories people have playing this game with their friends, but also the practicality of having a ginormous MMO that you could play forever on an right. island is super important. By the way, like failure, so to go back to the beginning of the episode, failure in the midway and even contemporary when I asked this question, um, saying something that is like the flavor of the month game um, is uh, is always something that at least the old, the old now what I would consider game gods that, that are there at midway, right? When they would ask me that question, I would always say, they, they would say to me, I should say, um, if you're saying something like, that, you know, the super contemporary, like Metal Gear Solid, um, that's actually not a good answer because yeah. you don't have <laughs> enough time and memories and you can't actually, you know, it's, 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 it's the hottest. It thing. also so, means you're impulsive. You're, uh, you, you are living for the now kind of, yeah. if you're that kind of person, you're a person who's only thinking about what's relevant. Like right now, you're not thinking so, big picture maybe, I think. Yeah. That's what I would I, get from that. So if I'm honest with you, like, so I was, you know, freaking out about this. And so I, like I told you, like I, I called Adam on the phone. Right. And I've asked Colette like a hundred times and she was like, um, okay, so here are some of my favorites. And she's telling me them. And then she's like, you spend a lot of time playing clash Royale. I'm like, nah, that's not fucking good enough. And then she's like, well, you've spent 185 hours in Breath of the Wild. And I'm like, nah. Like, so it's like even my old grumpy like midway guys coming out and saying like, no, 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 that's not good enough. So, yes, World of Warcraft. Do you think Breath of the Wild is, as, a, as an aside to that, if someone said Breath of the Wild, though, although Breath of the Wild is flavor of the year, I would say. <laughs> but that is... I would say maybe an exception to that rule, considering of what that game is like. Um, do you think, so, or do you, would you still consider that to be flavor of the month? Well, no, I mean, someone younger than I am um, in 10 years can say Breath of the Wild, and I think that that's, that's an okay thing to say. Um, <laughs> Only still an okay thing well, to that say. Sound, yeah, that sounded really bad. I, I didn't mean for it to come out that way. Um <laughs> Here's the thing. Uh, 
so Horizon Zero Dawn and Breath of the Wild came out, I mean, damn near at the same time. If not I think it was the same day they came out. Yeah, right. And so um, uh, Horizon Zero Dawn was an absolutely incredible, is an absolutely incredible, um, you know, open world. I'm doing with my little bunny ears. Um, leveling up experience cinematic incredible voice acting i'm sure localized in a a gajillion languages when i look at that i'm like wow that's incredibly impressive um what they did there is is fun is fun to play is fun to explore is is incredible like on on the level of of the witcher right or the witcher 3 um the thing that's interesting about breath of wild is that there is what I call, and it's a very important thing in game design, um, it is the elation of discovery. And it is, it's, it's something that is just, uh, the, the way that it was implemented, like, oh, hey, did you know, by the way, that when you light a fire, that can, um, uh, or, or when you have a fire weapon and you attack grass, that that can light the grass on fire, which then eventually will create an updraft, which will then allow you to glide. Like those types of things and multiple ways to solve puzzles and yeah. solve them in unconditional ways. Um, that is something that is so critical to a just a, a, a next generation, not in terms of graphics and that kind of bullshit, but like a. Uh, oh my goodness, no one's ever done anything like that before. And Breath of the Wild has that. And when I think of games that have done stuff like that, that whole can I, yes I can, um, there's a very small amount of games that have done it. In Breath of the Wild, when I first started playing, I was like, hmm, as a young man, this is in my head as I was playing through A Link to the Past, what I actually, you know, I think I remember. Um but now as yeah. as an as an older man as I'm playing this, no, this is actually it. This and is what what my feelings of a link to the past were like, but the limitations yes. were always there. I was just blinded by how good it was at the time. Yes. Whereas now I actually can like when I think in my head, can I solve this puzzle by doing this? Yeah, yes I can. Yes. Right. Yes, I actually can. Not like the game tricks me into thinking maybe I am, but no, no, yes, I actually can do that. And I've thought right. about it myself. The game didn't tell me to do it. And those were like the two big differences between Horizon and Breath of the Wild, which both to me are 10 out of 10 games um, for different reasons, but are incredible games, but released at the exact same time. Yeah. And what was interesting is that I played Horizon Zero Dawn and I have some friends working on some games that are uh, important to to play that game. So I was like, you have to go and play. If you're going to build this type, this type of game, you have to go and play Horizon Zero Dawn um, for these reasons. And that was about, I don't know, eight and a half, ten hours into it. And then, you know, Switch and, and of course, um, uh, Breath of the Wild to come out. And that one ended up, just because of, of where I was, in terms of life um, and the accessibility, of course, of the switch kind of being like um, console to go or mobile to stay. Um, that was to me why I was like, Oh yeah, I really need to, to take this with me. And I played that game and I put so many hours into it. So anyhow, I forget how we started talking about breath of the wild, but um, in horizon, <laughs> but that was in terms of like flavor of the month though. Yeah. Okay, I think right, breath exactly. of the wild is the exception to that rule. 
but going back on thinking about games that have hit the industry hard and have inspired that can I do this or mm -hmm. this is amazing this has never happened before World of Warcraft Johnny Holy cow. Holy is cow. the next game on your list yeah why are you taking World of Warcraft as the third game um, okay, so like, let's go through the quick bullshit reason of oh, I'm playing an MMO and I'm on, I'm in a deserted island or I'm on a deserted island, right? Um, there is so many memories of this particular game for me, and most importantly, this element of creating a social circle, but digitally, prior to the rise of. Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and everything else that we have now where yeah. this game became life for me um, for so many, for so many different crazy reasons um, to rewind back though, as to why I became completely obsessed with this uh, again in that whole like AOL time frame. um, there was a game that they had that was called Dungeons and Dragons Online Neverwinter Nights. And probably not the Neverwinter Nights that all of you who are listening might remember. Um, but this one was actually like a a top-down... I, I played it through AOL. It was like a top-down uh, game where you were, you were exploring all these different maps. It was 250 people could concurrently be on the server at the time. It was early 90s. It was something that was, um, to me, it was, it was such an impactful thing. So I was like, there's got to be a game that I can play now that I'm connected to this internet. If I'm sending messages on message boards, and if I'm like, and remember how like little I am at the time, I'm like, there's got to be a video game that I can play yeah. where I'm playing with a bunch of people. I can talk to them. Um, this is before, yeah, again, like before even like X band on, you know, SNES, right. This is, uh, <laughs> this was, so like there was, I think it was red Baron. Um, there was never winter nights, um, and a couple other games. And so I got super into never winter nights, which was, uh, you know, medieval RPG. I got super into the Sierra network as well. Um, which was a online service that had, there was that Red Baron land that I talked about. There was a, um, a medieval area that they had. There was Leisure Suit Larry land where you could go and gamble. Um, and then there was like this this other area that was more aimed towards kids. And I remember actually myself and all my brothers played that together. And one day we got a, because um, it was just like AOL, it was uh, like something like nineteen ninety nine per month and $3.50 for every hour after that. And I remember my father got a bill for $2,500. What? Um, based on the amount of hours that, after the 20 hours, myself and my brothers had logged playing uh, TSN and, uh, oh my God. And, and screwing around America Online, um, which was a separate service. And he was like, what the fuck is this? I mean, he was so pissed. Oh. Um, anyhow. Dude, my, Yeah. <laughs> all of that stuff though all of those games were like precursors to me just completely falling in love with world of warcraft and um i wouldn't have fallen in love with it because prior to world of warcraft i had played the warcraft games but i always got to a point where i was like man i can't beat this because it wasn't to me based on um skill in terms of how much control you had and how twitch you were with your controls. 
there was always a strategy to beating the different Warcraft games prior to World of Warcraft, right? There was always a strategy of beating them. And those real-time strategy games, I just, I would always get to a level where I was like, the game is smarter than me. I don't have time for this. I spent 22 minutes going into this particular mission. I got my ass kicked. I don't want to restart again. Um, and so I, w- I would give up. But yeah. when World of Warcraft dropped, um, it was uh, it was the guys at Midway, and it was Adam, right, that was like, you know, hey, World of Warcraft's coming out. Everyone's going to be playing it. We should check this out. We should play it. And so um, <laughs> this is 2000, This is 2004. So I had just gotten done with my work on NBA Ballers. And um, World of Warcraft drops. And it begins a period in my life that would extend um, to 2010, I think, before I eventually just stopped. Uh, or maybe it was 2009, early 2009, but I played so much and I actually shut myself out a lot from my social life. Um, my entire social life actually became online and became with these people and these digital avatars. And, um, it, so it sounds scary. I made it just sound really dramatic and scary as I'm saying it, but I would actually sound like there, there have been similar stories on the show about this sort of thing. Like it, did and like it does sound overly dramatic like when people who don't maybe understand like when you say mm-hmm. stuff like that people are like ah you know you you're you're overplaying it or um you're being overly dramatic but no this like really did happen to like a lot of people like this right. was kind of a problem well the the weird thing for me so um anyway i i've met a ton of cool people online and then we would go and do guild meetups right and that was like the one thing that i would want like from from any online thing is like you're playing with people that you actually know and so i i went and actually did that whole thing i was in a guild and we went we had a big meetup and we spent the weekend now where things would get bizarre with all of it is when there was like actual like uh uh relationships beyond friendship where people who had never met with each other in real life had fallen in love online and then would meet in real life. And I witnessed this, you know, this fight back and forth between this real emotional relationship, um, having just met each other and seen each other in real life for the first time. And that was always the kind of thing for me. It was like, look, I've had, you know, girlfriends throughout my life and, and, you know, I've had friends that have had girlfriends and boyfriends, that kind of thing. And I've, it's, to me, it's always been like, how can you have a relationship digitally when you haven't actually met that person, held that person's hand, um, done something together in real life. And I'm, and, and by the way, I'm not like casting down on anyone that has had a successful relationship from that, but in, in my experience with WoW, when I had gone to some of these guild meetups and I had seen people who had never met get upset that the girl that they really liked online wasn't treating them the way that they wanted to when they finally met in real life, I was always like, well, this is bizarre. Um, but yeah, well, like, what could you really expect? Like, you do. Right. You can only know someone so much through right. a, a, a product, essentially. Like here's here's a here's a thing that you would never know about Johnny V if you met me through World of Warcraft. When you hold my hand after about 30 seconds, like your hand is sweaty. <laughs> right? <laughs> and it's because like I just I am giving off so much heat and it's probably, you know, from years of being overweight or whatever, right? But it's like when you hold my hand, I just it's like you hold it for about 30 seconds before you have to let go cuz it is just so warm. Um 
but that's the type of thing where I mean, it was anyway, it, it, World of Warcraft had a huge impact. Um, so that was more of like a, a serious kind of dramatic one because I, I created friends through World of Warcraft, some of which I'm still friends with today, um, that, um, you know, through that game. Yeah. And that's the first time beyond arcade games I have met people that have formed personal relationships with um, and, and, and I'm still friends with today. And I through, think that through that's, like uh, a like a soul connection through a video game. Exactly. Exactly. Like, I mean, these days, right, we play um, I'm a console guy. Right. So I play PS4. I connected to Facebook so I can see all my friends on PS4 and what they're playing. And I play those games now on PS4. I, I play those games with people that I know. Yeah. Um, people you already have social connections with. Exactly. Exactly. But with wow, this idea of kind of living in this virtual world and also like the social status stuff of I defeated this raid boss or I am wearing this gear or whatever it was, right. Was, um, was, was so cool. Um, but is something that as much as I talk about how weird it was going from digital to real life when meeting people, um, with Adam, there is this hysterical story, just a couple of them, where real life and World of Warcraft, you know, digital life would intersect and it would become a huge fight or a huge problem. And one of them was like in the very early beginnings of, of World of Warcraft in 2004, there was this area called Wailing Caverns. And I had basically played my account and grinded enough all night long that I could get into Wailing Caverns and... Adam was not at the appropriate level to get in. And I said, <laughs> I'm going into this. And he said, well, what are you talking about? Help me level my warlock so I can get in there. And we can go together. And I'm like, I'm going to go with these guys first. And I chose digital friends and relationships over real life ones. And um, even though, I mean, what's it been? 10 years, right? 2014, right? Uh, 2017. Even though it's been... Over 15 years since this has happened, Adam still brings up this moment. And when I called him the other day on the phone and I was like, yeah, what are so he's like, well, you've got to talk about wow, of course, and the obsession that you had with wow and all the things that you did. And he brought up that particular um, instance where I'd basically left a friend in real life to go follow friends in the digital life. Now, yeah. here's the here's the bullshit thing about this. Right. The bullshit thing about this is that and he denies this, but it's true. He got Destiny and the same type of thing had happened in Destiny, although I didn't you don't have to be the same level. But I basically got into an area where he turned to me and he's like, you are so too low level to be in this area. You know what? We've died. Let me just do this on my own. And so, like, I actually had to, like, turn the game off um, and he went and did it. And so I brought that up to him. He's like, I have never ditched you for online digital <laughs> friends versus real life friends. I'm like, dude, you did it at your house at Thanksgiving or whenever it was. So anyhow, that's, um, I mean, that's to be like, fair, to be a hundred percent fair, mm -hmm. you did deserve it. Yeah, that's true. You did deserve yeah, it a little. True. That's true. No, no, no. It's, it's totally fair to say. Um, and I agree. What a dumb thing. Right. But that is, um, that's one of those, like, you know, wow was one of those things um, that just it just made me 
it just changed me. It also brought me a little bit back into childhood, right? Where it was like I was meeting these people online through the video game message boards, but we were playing a game together. There was reliability. We had to count on each other to do different things. There was yeah. personality that was coming through through the actual text. You know, they always say in business, you're never supposed to read emotion into email. And I'm I'm pretty good about not doing that when I get emails, but I always try to do that when I send emails so people can understand the tone at which I'm trying to say something, uh, even though the feedback might be harsh. And a lot of that is from playing so many uh, online games where there was, there was, you know, chat, text-based chat. Yeah. Part of it. So. And you had to convey either like you're disappointed in someone for failing at something or um, this was amazing. Like you'd had just like the best raid and it's like one of your best gaming experiences ever. And there's only so much you can like sort of say as you're not, you know, actually socially with people, but you're like, right. this is like a, this is like a, one of the best gaming moments I've ever had. Like I've never felt this way before like but there's no one here i need to like type it in the chat and or you, you try to explain it to someone right yeah and it's yeah. like you know you try to explain it to your parents or someone and then they're like yeah that's cool okay anyway like yeah nice game what are we buddy. ordering for an appetizer <laughs> right yeah yeah so um but so that was one wow experience i think another one was um i actually sat you know that south park episode where they're playing world of warcraft yeah and carbon gets fat Okay, so I have a story that's kind of similar to that in that I actually had sat um, at – so when when Adam and I were roommates, we had an office area. By the way, we had the coolest place in Chicago. Um, I had a, a friend that was a realtor, and they were like, these apartments only come available once every six to eight years, and they're uh, apartments that – um, Marshall Fields, um, or Marshall Field, right, who owns Marshall Fields, which was a department store um, that eventually would sell to Target, but like a, a famous family in the area. Uh, he had built for his kids and built six units so that each of his kids' entire families could stay in over the summer. And his mansion was across the street. Um, and so we ended up, you know, many, many, many years later, right, getting one of these apartments. So it was just this gigantic thing. And we had this office, and in this office we had our two computers on opposite sides of the room. And after Adam and I had gotten to a big fight about World of Warcraft and choosing digital friends versus real-life friends, <laughs> I sat one day for 12 hours in my chair. And I like basically had taken like one of those real shitty IKEA kind of footstools and put it, you know, forward with my, uh, you know, underneath my my desk. Yeah. Put my feet up, crossed my legs, played WoW for about. Uh, 12 hours and then I remember a couple of times like my leg had fallen asleep whatever and so I had you know recrossed them but I stood up and when I stood up I was like oh like and it kind of took a, a funny funny move and I was like that, that feels kind of funny and then Adam was uh, with his now wife but his girlfriend at the time Jen and he's like what's going on how was wow buddy yeah had it had a good time and I was like, yeah, but, uh, and I started limping. I was like, I did, I've, there's something wrong with my ankle. And he's like, really? He's like, did you sprain your ankle playing WoW? And I think I did, right? <laughs> I think I sat so long in that fucking chair, and then I got up, and I got up too quickly. And when I did that, I, I don't know what happened, but basically I had a limp for like two weeks. So, of course, at Midway, right, Adam's running around like, oh, Johnny, Johnny twisted his ankle playing World of Warcraft. Um, and everyone made fun of me forever. And I got like a little weird splint on my on my ankle for a while um, so that eventually I had repaired it. But that was like another another thing about, wow, it was like 
I actually physically screwed myself up um, for playing that game for so long. So it's also the first game that's ever done that. I think you're um, the only person to have ever done that. No, I mean, someone else has to have been as dumb as me. I mean, just I don't know. <laughs> like, well, let's be maybe. <laughs> like you know, you know there when are you people have died playing World of Warcraft. I guess that's worse. Uh, yeah, yeah. Actually, God, you're right. What a horrible thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just, like, so spend too much time, and then right. the heart is just like, I can't do this anymore. And I can't Adam's, deal with this. Adam's favorite, which he you know asked me to repeat, but for what it's worth, with World of Warcraft, so. As I'm working on my own games, um, you know, with, with obviously with the team, right? But yeah, um, we're going out and we're doing promotion for our games. There was this horrible moment where I was trying to grind to High Warlord, and I was putting in anywhere from an additional on top of my work week. I was putting in anywhere from forty to sixty hours worth of additional World of Warcraft play, um, to the point where I was sleeping like three or four hours a night at most. Um, trying to get to High Warlord, where uh, and it was very political in the vanilla WoW in terms of who got to become High Warlord, because people would take times in PvP to do it. Like so, people would actually schedule who did it, and um, multiple times when I had taken actually time off of work, vacation time to do this, um, Holy politics crap. on the server, uh, other people would escalate and take the spot to become High Warlord that I actually did go and hire people to play my WoW account while I had to go out of town to do, um, uh, uh, like, promoting my own games that I've been working on, which is something, like, I am, I am, you're actually hearing the other side of it, because Adam always laughs about it, and it is absolutely ridiculous, but I'm ashamed of having to do, but at the same time, now, as I look back on it, I'm like, Actually, if that is the way someone is that if that is something someone needs to do in order to achieve a certain goal inside your game, your game is actually was not designed correctly for whatever the achievement was. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if you need to like turn, pay someone over the internet to level your account, <laughs> yeah, you're right. And I laugh about it, but at the same time, it's like a, it's one of those great lessons learned for me. Did your account not get banned? A, um. It, uh, I don't, actually, I don't, yeah, I'm sure it did. Yeah, I know it did. <laughs> I know it did once. Um, and uh, in, I actually it, it got suspended, I think it was. And then I had to actually ah, go okay. and, like, and, and kind of come clean and, and provide, you know, hey, this, this is me and this is what I did. And, you know, hey, don't do it again. Like, obviously, it's yeah. blizzards are all Please give cool. me the account I've spent thousands um, and thousands of hours on, please. Yeah, exactly. So anyhow, like that's um, <laughs> that was another thing about that was another kind of fun story from WoW. Um, that game is incredible. And the people that um, worked on it and work on it to this day um, are incredible. And and it's just, it is such a spectacular game. And to be able to go and recapture, you know, being stuck on a deserted island, recapture the social aspect of it, even though it is digital, um, but being able to recapture that, spend time with people online, um, even though you can't physically talk to someone, be able to express yourself through chat, um, and through emotes and, um, you know, also kind of come together to accomplish a common goal. Um, and of course, you know, the competitive elements, I think that that is just one of the most, uh, spectacular video games ever created. And, uh, is part of the reason why it's on my eight. 
Awesome. There it is. Well, you can take it with you and you can spend a heck of a lot more time, even yeah. more time than you initially did, because you have all the time in the world on Inserted Island. But we're going to talk about your next game now. And I'm incredibly interested because it, I think it's the most different. Well, it, there are a few games on here that are very varied and stuff like this. But mm-hmm. consider we talked a lot about like sort of PC games and stuff. And the next game is a different in a sort of development sense as well it's one of the only games on your list that comes from japan um there are only two games on here that come from japan there would have been Um, more there would have been more but this is one of the best ones and you're speaking my language with this next game so let's listen to some absolutely wonderful music from koji kondo and let's of course dive straight into the next game on johnny's list So everyone who is a regular listener of the show will be laughing at me for saying you're speaking my language with this next game. So they obviously know <laughs> what's coming up. Um, yeah, sometimes maybe I'm a little too biased uh, with these games because they, they're, they're what I get nostalgic about. Very similar to what you've been doing, Johnny. These are the games that I get incredibly nostalgic about. And of course, the next game is a game that was developed by Nintendo EAD and directed by Takeshi Tezuka, produced by the one and only Miyamoto-san. It released on the Super Nintendo back in 1990 as well, same time as Monkey Island. Yeah, incredible to think these games came out at the same time, around yeah. the same time anyway. It is of course Super Mario World. Johnny, why is the <sighs> next game <laughs> Super Mario? Oh man, so good. <laughs> um, it, uh, there are so first of all. To, to to set the stage, um, I am a massive Nintendo fan. Um, I have been a massive Nintendo fan since the beginning. Um, also, a massive fan of um, games developed um, in Japan and 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 by Japanese developers because I always think that there's there is a level of of quality and also kind of going back to to Breath of the Wild like. A new discovered game mechanic or ways that you layer multiple game mechanics on top of each other to create a new game mechanic um, and it's something about Nintendo that I have I have always respected and admired and have learned from myself and um, Super Mario World for me was I I was not a big fan of um, Super Mario Brothers 3 in fact I think out of all of the Super Mario Brothers games that were released, that one is, well, Lost Levels, as it was known here in the States, was probably the, the other one. But Super Mario 3 for me wasn't the 
the coolest game in the entire world. Um, Super Mario Brothers Two, I loved, even though that was I think it's uh, I think it's called Doki Doki Panic. Yeah, that's that actually, the one that everyone sort of has your opinion of three on. Everyone was like, Super Mario Two was like this weird time. It was a different game, and then Super Mario Three was like the actual sequel to Super Mario Bros. Which is was, kind of interesting that you feel that way. Yeah, well, I mean, here, okay, so, so here was here was the weird thing about those two games before we get into Super Mario World. So, Super Mario Brothers three, and then you know the fact that there was this film that came out in the states that was called The Wizard that the starred Wizard. Fred Savage, um, and that movie was te- that uh, Super Mario three was teased inside of The Wizard, and. Um, there was this whole thing about, um, you know, trying to get to these video game championships. And I don't know if, if any of your listeners, any of you guys listening right now want to watch like an old kind of, um, funny video game movie, go check out the wizard. Um, but, uh, it spoiled super Mario for me, super Mario Bros. three, a little bit for me because it, it made it so commercialized. Ah, um, okay. And so it was like, Oh, everyone loves Super Mario Brothers three, and oh, like everyone's gotta go Super Mario three, and oh, like it's um, you know it's Raccoon Mario it gets the raccoon tail, but like, and I played through that game like hundred percented it as we would call it today, and there are elements of that game that are incredibly important to me and that I love, but it just it was actually not my most favorite game out of all of them. I think that the things that I love about it, why don't we just talk about focus on the positive, right? Um, Karibo Shoe. It is incredible. Um, yeah, that was that was part of it. Frog Mario also incredible, hysterical, cute, right? Um, I thought that Tanuki Mario, right, which is you know still when, I, when I'm playing Mario Kart Eight Deluxe is the character that I choose. But Tanuki Mario and the things that he could do in in the raccoon suit, right? Um, those were things that are the Tanuki suit, I should say. Like I love that, and most importantly, the Koopa Kids. Um, and their introduction, I believe that was the first time we had seen them in that game, was, was um, some of the things that I loved about Super Mario 3. But when I go to Super Mario 2, the reason why I like that particular one was on the explorability and, um, or how much you could explore and also the replayability of, um, of that particular game. Because when I say replayability, it really has to do with you can do the same level four different times and still not go and explore all of the different areas that all those different characters can potentially go because of their abilities or things that they can do because of their abilities. And that's a big part of the reason why Super Mario 2 was, is one that I hold a little bit higher than, um, than Super Mario 3. But Super Mario World um, is, is absolutely my favorite because of all the different islands that you can go to. Am I right? The Koopa kids, the Koopa kids were introduced in super Mario three, right? Yeah. 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 All the different islands that you could go to in super Mario world. Um, the fact that you could complete each of those levels in two different ways. Like, do you remember you beat it and you would, I think it would turn from blue to red. And then after red, if you found the alternate exit, it would turn to yellow. Yeah. I think, is that what it is? Or is it yellow? Do you remember off the top of your head what it... Anyway, someone might. But the fact that there was <laughs> alternate exits to each of the levels and there was, there was again, that, that element of exploration inside of those games and how you get to those levels. I mean, I remember one of them, I had to get my cape 
and at the end I had to fly under the goal and just have the right amount of finesse with the controller to actually with the cape pull myself up under the goal in order to find the alternate exit I mean to me that was like oh it was each of those alternate exits and playing through and running into all of the different characters inside of that game and the elements of um, being able to you know move forward but also the self-scrolling both uh, levels um, and then also of course you know the introduction of Yoshi who is one of my favorite characters in the Mario franchise um, was an, another big part of it and the hype and the build-up to it um, was incredible like I'd said a little bit earlier the Back in the day, before everyone had the internet, right? People used to get a lot of their video game news out of magazines. And one of those magazines, Electronic Gaming Monthly, um, did a thing that said Super Mario Brothers 4. And it's like an exclusive peek into the new Super Mario Brothers. And it was on SNES, which was new hardware at the time. And yeah. um, the front page of the magazine was this just this big, gigantic image of Mario just standing on uh like a pedestal um and i remember reading it and rereading it and rereading it and rereading it and um looking at the screens and drawing and just uh and 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 using my own imagination to um think about what this game could be and um and then of course when it finally came out playing it and how much fun i had with it and meeting Yoshi for the first time and, you know, discovering eating fruits and, you know, how fun it was to eat other creatures that I, I, uh, I'm used to normally jumping on and, um, uh, you know, eating fruits to then, you know, change the, the type of, um, things that Yoshi can do. And then the Cape, um, which I thought was so much cooler than the tail, uh, in Super Mario Brothers three, because the Cape actually, I hated in Mario 3, I hate it as a strong word, but I didn't like in Mario 3, building up your speed, jumping up into the air, having, um, you know, velocity, like you talked about, right? Like, yeah. where I build up, and then having to mash on the button um, in order to come down. I actually preferred the mechanics of the cape in that you would build up, you'd be able to fly for a little bit, and then you would use, you kind of press back, um, or you'd press left um, most of the time, to make him kind of bounce, and you had a slow bit of uh, yeah, you'd be like catching down. the wind inside yes. to like get the sail to slow down and stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. And you would do the exactly. bounces. Yeah, and it also didn't feel too out there in terms of um, a mechanic that was introduced, right? Like, okay, riding on a dinosaur. I mean, whatever. All Super Mario. Don't get me wrong. Is is um, you know kind of fantastical, right? But like, you know, transforming into a frog and having a tail. Um, those things were a bit more out there for me than, okay, he gets a cape. The cape has these mechanics. Okay, the cape can also fly like Superman, but only for a limited amount of time. And you have to use these types of uh, uh, control mechanics in order to make him kind of bounce. Um, and also how difficult it was, right, to – but it, it, it had great finesse, incredible control in that game. But when you would let go of – of the cape or let go of, of using those mechanics, trying to stop on an individual platform was much more difficult and required uh, a higher level of sophistication in terms of your ability to control the game than Mario three did in some instances Yeah, um, that I just really appreciated um, that game and the, the overworld map. I mean, I loved that and how it was visualized. 
um, and secret areas. And meh. I mean, this whole thing is just like a, it's a dream for me. That's a game that would be incredible to be remade um, into, uh, into a contemporary game. Sorry. All right, it keep going. Be... I feel like I just, just completely like just, <laughs> <laughs> um, just, just threw all of the Super Mario feelings out there. Yeah, I did. And like in the music, right? Was the incredible. music is oh. the music for me is the thing I think it's when I've come as I get older. I realize the thing I get most nostalgic about with video games is music. I I don't know why. I think it's just because I Nintendo has such good music in their games. Like obviously, yeah. don't get me wrong. So many video games have great music, but there is something I think we all agree that is uniquely special about, especially Super Nintendo games. The music oh, is yeah. amazing. And one of the things I get most nostalgic about, like music, especially living in Japan, the one of the most amazing things about living here is obviously we have all of these secondhand electronic stores that sell every video game console imaginable over Fair the enough, years. Right. And, you know, they always have like demo station set up of like Super Nintendo or like the Sega Saturn and all these weird mm. and wonderful consoles. And you'll just be like walking around this secondhand store and you're like looking at like old TVs and stuff or and then you'll just hear like dun 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 and you're like and you just like you it hits you and you're like I didn't expect this. And the sound effects today feels so good. Like oh yeah, it does. Um I'll tell you what, uh an instant cry for me is actually um the end the end of Super Mario World and the end of Super Mario Brothers Two. Um, the music that happens at the end of those two games in particular, um, if you play those music, it's like, yeah, I, you know, it's like, it's like, you know, my red, my red button, right? It funnily is my, enough, like, funnily enough, Johnny, the yeah. music I usually play when someone chooses Super Mario World for the show is always the, the thank you music at the end. Oh God. I love and it. And then going it's through, amazing. and then going through, I mean, I'm getting, I'm getting sappy right now, but at the end of Mario World, going back through and meeting all those people again, and even though you killed so many of them by stomping on them, right? <laughs> going back and then seeing them, remembering the adventure that you went on and that you went through, um, and you know, thinking, it evokes an emotion where it's like, I'm not actually mad at these people. I miss them. Uh, yeah, just want to jump back in and play again and go through it yeah. all. I've got the I've got like the the starting trumpet the sound in my head for the ending theme. Oh, and then remember, <laughs> yeah, when they all like they all get under a big tree, right? Yeah, they stand there with a big thank you for playing. Is it thank you oh, for playing or just says thank right. you or something like that? They have like a big message that says thank you, and you're like, oh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's so it's so sentimental. It's just yeah. so, and you feel like someone gets you. Yeah, nah. Nintendo, you, un you understand like it's like almost the perfect tone setting for like having gone through all this and the thing about Nintendo games uh, I go on about it enough that people know it's just they're so bright and colorful there's not the there's palette right there, the there's nothing palette. meant to be there's, there's never anything that's meant to be negative like even when you die like a hundred times in like Super Mario or something, or like you're failing, it's like it's never meant to be negative. It's always like a net positive experience. Like it's meant to be colorful. It's meant to be like, you tried, kid, try again. You'll do it. Like everything is always pushing you to 
get better or do something well and it's always visually there's nothing negative which is great and then it sets the tone that you finish the game and it's like it just wants to thank you for spending time with it and you're like right no thank you (laughs) it doesn't it well here's the interesting thing um about all of the mario games it doesn't bother you that you died um what bothered you was how you played getting to dying or losing a life yeah right um, you always are frustrated with yourself. You are not frustrated with the characters. And um, that is something, you know, it's like when I look back at um, my time at Disney and getting to know all those characters and spending time with those characters, there's a DNA there that people don't quite understand. Do you remember, like, back in the day, you used to say, oh, that's cheap. Oh, that's cheap. Yeah. Like, you know, it's a great game, it's cheap. Um, and I mean cheap, not in terms of like, um, price, price, or, or, cheap, or, yeah. cheap, cheap deaths, um, was battle toads was one yes. that was always yeah. like, that's cheap. You know, unless I knew that was coming, I never would have been able to, um, predict how to actually get through that environment. In fact, I think that's a lot of the reason why in the Mario games, self-scrolling levels are some of the levels that people hate the most. Because if you if you don't know some of the patterns that are coming up, although there's typically three, if not four, different instances when you when you have to make uh, some sort of jump attempt or some sort of platforming attempt that it gives you the ability to do that based on the speed that the level's moving. Yeah. However, it's 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 those moments in games where people are like, ah, it's so cheap, and those are always very rare in um, Nintendo games. You're always frustrated in mario games specifically you're always frustrated with your inability to control in that particular moment and it really comes back to like having skill um in in dexterity in terms of how you handle the controls so um that's something that i really appreciate again from a game design perspective um with super mario world and just how much it, it introduced that that's one of those games I'd, I'd, I'd bring to a deserted island with me because um a story I've never told anyone before actually is, is that of um, I utilized um, Super Mario three and Super Mario world to actually create uh, a game design that I sent to Nintendo. Um, and okay. yeah, I mean, I, I basically like on graph paper with a pencil and then I went over it with colored pencil. I you know had a, a game pitch that I sent to Nintendo and um I never heard back, never heard back, never heard back. I used to call their customer service line um, all the time. Uh, I think it's 1-800-255-3700, if you can believe that. I actually remember that number. I think that's the number. But I used to call Nintendo customer service all the time, um, whether it was for you know tips on games or what's the new release of this happening or, or whatever. And I remember calling them, though, and I sent this design after playing um, Super Mario, all the Mario games, but around the Mario World time. And I remember saying, uh, hey, did you guys, um, I sent this design and did you guys get it? And at one point they pushed me up to someone who's like, kid, we've got Super Mario, Super Mario 3, Super Mario World through Super Mario 12 already figured out. So thank you for <laughs> sending that in. That's really sweet of you. Uh, at the same time, um, you know, know that we won't be using any of your ideas in any of our upcoming games. But that's like when I got my first itch at like, doing game design and game production and that kind of thing, right? Where a game actually drove me. I was so much of a fan 
um, that I wanted to actually, you know, to, to contribute um, beyond just, you know, here's how you do this fatality or here's the secret uh, initials and birth date to get this character unlocked in NBA Jam. And so that to me was, um, yeah, that, that had tremendous impact on my life. Um, Super Mario World and the entire Super Mario franchise. It's just, um, it's just crazy. And another funny one is um, I used to call. So it, with with doing this whole game design thing, at one point I attempted to call um, Nintendo in Japan because no one at customer service would give me information about where my game design had gone. And so I tried calling <laughs> Japan on the phone and asking them, uh, you know, and trying to get through it. It was like. Of course, it was all in Japanese when I called. Yeah, yeah. And so um, I called three or four times, and I couldn't figure out, you know, through trying to press buttons on the phone, and this is before cell phones and everything, right? Um, trying to you know, figure out how to get connected. And what ended up happening was uh, about a month later, my father brought uh, myself and my two older brothers um, into the dining room of our, of our home. And uh, he looked at us, and it was always like whenever – at this point, like whenever my, you know, my father was around and all three of us were being summoned, like someone was going to get in trouble. Yeah. Um, the family knew, like, meeting. Shit was going down. Mm. And so I remember my father looking at us and he's like, in my hand is the bill for the home phone. In my other hand is the bill for my car phone. This is a phone that's in my car. Which bill do you think? is higher. And so I'm, you know, I look at my brothers and, you know, I'm all wide eyed and, you know, just super green. I look at my brothers, they look at me. And of course they're like way cooler, like, you know, long hair, like it's, you know, nineties Terminator two judgment day. Like I remember my brother looking at me, like flipping his hair back, like, and then I remember my older brother, um, you know, looking at me and he had long hair in the back. Cause he was like super into heavy metal, whatever. Um, and so I looked over at them and they looked at me and he goes, I'll tell you which one's fucking higher. This one, the home phone. Which one of you three idiots has been calling Japan? <laughs> and then my two brothers and I look, right? And I'm like, I like, you know, kind of sheepishly like raise my hand. And he's like, who are you calling in Japan? I'm like, I'm trying to call Nintendo um, because I sent some, some designs through the mail. Mom helped me send it. And then my mom's like, Jesus Christ, John, leave him alone. Right. And he's like, and, and, but what's funny is that at that point, that's when my father was like, you know what? God bless you. Like, that's actually, that's pretty good of you kid that you created something, you know, in school and in your free time and you sent it off to those guys. And, Again, it's like, you know, Super Mario World, it brings back all those feels and all that love and the entire Mario franchise in general, but Super Mario World specifically, that just was one that helped motivate me to, to be a game designer and brings back these fun memories of my family and, um, and doing, doing silly things like that. I've got nothing but a massive, massive smile on my face. <laughs> yeah. Stories like that. I remember doing something similar with me and my brother. We made like a 50 page long on like line drawn paper, <clears throat> just the design for a game we made. And it was just called Zombies. The game was just called Zombies. Like I, yeah. I'll, I don't remember anything about in the design. I just remember the front cover of the like the folder we had that we made. And 
our dad helped us make it and we were like we need we need it was like during the n64 era we'd been playing with golden eye and stuff like that yeah. <clears throat> and I remember saying to dad like we need to send this to nintendo like we need to send it to nintendo <laughs> and dad was like yeah yeah, yeah we, you know we will and and stuff like that and i, I remember my dad just kept it like he 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 he? said he sent it and he kept it and then he showed it to us like a few years later he was like remember this (laughs) oh that's so awesome yeah it was so cool i remember doing something similar just being inspired by playing nintendo games to want to make games and still to this day and now being in a fortunate position where i know people who work at nintendo in japan and the amazing things they get to do and just being inspired by those guys to do cool stuff is i've so i've been there once it's the funniest thing i was working at disney at the time uh went to japan um you know for for something disney related god this is back in 2013 it was the first time i'd I'd ever been to japan um and i remember going to kyoto and going to nintendo's address and like mind you right at this point i've been in the game industry since 1998 officially right but even before that in the early 90s right doing all my um my website stuff and whatnot yeah yeah and i like you want to talk about a fanboy i went and took a picture and you've been to their office right i've been to the i've been outside the building i've not been in it. that's so that was exactly me right so i i basically went there to take a whole bunch of photos um standing outside the gate um and then a security guy kind of smiled and waved me to allow me to walk inside the gate and up to the front door before I was swarmed by other security people who were like, who are you? What are you doing? I'm like, my name is John. I'm with Disney, but I'm a massive Nintendo fan. Of course, this is all in English. <laughs> Everyone's speaking Japanese. Like, you know, what are you? I'm sure like, what are you doing? Get this man out of here. But it was like, you know, straight up just fanboy style. I've been uh, just a a longtime lover of Nintendo and, and everything that they have done and, um, and, and the, that they continue to do for the, for the game industry. Um, I just, yeah, I just, Oh, all this stuff brings back all the loves, all the feels. <laughs> That's so great. I just, yeah. oh, anyone who listens to the show regularly will know they'll be like, Oh, Liam rambles on about Nintendo so much, but this is because these are the feelings they bring out in people yeah. who have played the games I mean, over the years and stuff like that. It's, it's yeah. like when I look at, uh, my fiance, right? Clef bar, uh, she loves Disney, um, through and through. I was lucky enough to, to be working on a Disney project. That's what to be the man up. in charge. <laughs> yeah. To, well, no, no, just one guy on a, on a great team, but to, to, you know, if it wasn't for my work that I'd done on Disney infinity, I wouldn't have met her. And she was writing for the official Nintendo blog at the time. And so when I actually had met her, it was like, Oh, you know, here's someone that is a part of the press um, that, you know, I need to make sure loves this, this game and, and, and knows what it is that we're trying to do. And, you know, we're yeah. trying to make Disney cool again in terms of video games. But her love for Disney reminds me so much of my love for Nintendo. Although if she was here with an earshot, she would say, I love Nintendo and Disney on the same level. But I think the combination of the two, if you understand how much Johnny loves Nintendo and how much Disney loves or Disney, how much Colette loves Disney, um, it's 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 just like that. It's just like how passionate people can be about Disney that's how passionate you know you and I are about Nintendo and what an impact it's yeah. had in our life uh, growing up. It's like when uh, Jeff Keighley introduced um, uh, Koji Kondo to, to play at one of the video game awards. I remember he teared up, and I remember giggling because I'm like, 
whatever, dude, you're like hosting this, you know, video game uh, awards thing, which is like um, about as crazy as the MTV awards. And then, you know, here's this moment where you actually tear up. And if you're a true fan of Nintendo, those memories and emotions, I mean, they come through. They meant so much to you in your childhood. Um, and they mean so much to you as an adult. Like it's just, um, I know it's weird because like, I feel like in recent times I've been super lucky to get to hang out with amazing people who have worked on super Metroid, Yoshi's Island, like just all these incredible people who've worked on all these amazing games. And I've managed to meet like AGL Numa, who's in charge of Zelda and like my friend, I who's in charge of animal crossing. And I feel like, I'm going to accidentally one day walk into a room and like Miyamoto is going to be there and I'm going to, I don't know whether or not I just like burst into tears. <laughs> like I don't know whether I would just like, I'd be like, Oh my God. Like it's happened. I finally met the man who made my whole childhood and my whole what I based my career around sort of meaning wise I'm just like, fuck, would I just embarrass myself massively by crying in front of this man? <laughs> um, you know, it's like, I can't, I can't imagine you would, right? Um, <laughs> Maybe. I don't well, know. I mean, how many people do you think that he has met and probably cry, right? Um, I think it's, though, in moments like that, taking the, the chance to just passionately articulate what it is that you love about what someone has created. Yeah, um, absolutely. Is what's so important to them. I mean, it's, it's, I'll tell you that right now, something that's so tough for me is that, I mean, I still get messages from kids all the time on Twitter asking what happened to Disney infinity. And again, like I was one guy that was a part of a a huge team of people, but I was also the person elected to be kind of the, the leader outspoken, yeah. Um, yeah, kind of public facing one. And um, my entire life, all I ever wanted to do was make video games. And I just wanted someone, right, uh, growing up, right, when, when I was the big fan of video games and every, all my other friends were into sports and I was the big video game fan. Like, I just wanted someone else to kind of relate with what I was in love with. And so now, like, when I get those messages on Twitter, I always look back and I'm always like, I need to give everyone the time of day. I need to give everyone a response. Yeah. Because, John, remember, as a kid, that's what you would have wanted. And that's what's so important to people. And so, you know, going back to, like, how would you, how would you do it when you run into, to, if you had the chance to meet Miyamoto, I think it's just thinking about sharing that most precious moment, whatever it might be, um, from some of the games that you worked on. Yeah, it's probably the the tact I would tell. I mean, for me, it would always be, I would say, just the endings, right? That's what made me tear up a little <laughs> bit earlier, right? It's the endings and the music that brings back the memories of the journey that you went on with. And remember, like, this is a piece of software we're talking about, right? This is zeros and ones and beautiful art and that kind of thing. But the fact that games can evoke those types of emotions from you and the fact that there are creators out there yeah. that... Um, have the ability to do that. It's something that's just so special. Well, very I mean, special. Yeah, and I take it with me in terms of my own career. So, I'm obviously completely rambling, um, and I'm not like this <laughs> typically in a business sense. But when you get me into these types of uh, moments, which I know a lot of people like, because uh, some people can relate to some of the same stuff. That's that's why I'm acting like this. So anyway, uh, whatever. Let's move on to something else. 
Sorry. Let's go on to the next game then. And, <laughs> and the next game, I've sort of got to, I've got to tell you off. I've got to, you're Why? in trouble, Johnny. You're in trouble. Okay. You're, uh, you're trying to cheat, cheat the system. I did. It's eight games. I did. It's eight games. Yeah, Johnny. this not, is such a BS thing. Not thirty-two. Not thirty-two. Uh, I know. So let's I listen know. to some sort of, uh, I don't know, some music from one of the games I like on this list. Yeah, exactly. That'll give insight into how Johnny's cheating here. <laughs> so let's listen to some music and let's dive straight into the next game on Johnny's list. Diving into the next game then on Johnny's list. And Johnny, what? You've, you've cheated the system here, my friend. I did. This is a, this technically, is a cheat one. Technically, you get away with it because it was a retail release. So it's okay if it's on yeah. a one-disc retail release, which it is. It's okay. But it is a video game compilation of 24 <laughs> emulated <laughs> arcade games. It's uh, a basically a big compilation of 24 games that include games like defender gauntlet joust rampage marvel madness paperboy smash tv yeah sort of all the old classics of midway yep it's and of course published by midway and atari yeah it released back on the playstation 2 in 2003 it is midway arcade treasures yep developed so, of course, by the company you were working for at the time yes so here was the thing um when I was looking back at um, what are some of the most impactful games um, or, or in end games, of course, that I'd want on a, on a deserted island, um, I thought to myself, oh, you know, there's so much from Midway, um, you know, from when I started there um, to, you know, when I, when I eventually had left, that I can't just choose one. Um, and so I started thinking to myself, okay, well, what could I possibly do where I could just say a little bit about how much all these, uh, various games meant to me. And that's when I was like, God, there was a compilation that at one point had come out. I swear I could just, you know, hit a, and so then Midway Arcade Treasures popped into my head. So, um, for those of you that don't know, Midway made a whole bunch of arcade games, uh, stand up arcade games, um, in the, uh, late seventies, eighties and nineties. And um, some of those games uh, were just so incredible. And going to arcades and that entire experience um, is so different than um, what the game industry is like now. Because we all play stuff on our phones or play it at home. Uh, of course, we play online together. But that whole physical element of you know either playing against someone you don't know or playing a game with a friend was such an important part of video games and i think it's still to this day i think it's part of going back to nintendo part of the formula that has always made nintendo work so well is um you know couch co-op or couch competitive games um and when i go back to when i think about midway and i think about arcades i mean going to the arcades with four or five of your friends um and playing a whole bunch of games for a few hours was always just such a blast and this particular compilation had a whole bunch of these midway games that were just um, so totally cool. Like 720 uh, is a uh, is of course in reference to doing 
two 360s in skateboarding, but it was a skateboarding game. It was developed by Atari. Um, one of my near and dear friends to this day, Rob Rowe, who now works at Pixar, actually worked on that game when he was at Atari. Um, but that whole skateboarding era and um, uh, everything in the 80s about, you know, skateboarding, that type of thing, it was such a cool game. And it was, uh, it was strange. It had like a, <clears throat> a bit of a isometric camera in terms of like it had the three quarter view camera i should say yeah yeah it was like and, top, top down almost yeah yeah and it had like a you know you put in your money and it had a timer that counted down which again is like another one of these interesting things that i see now of course in in mobile games or in demos like going back to gta where it's like you know there is that that pay to play that gives you a certain amount of time that you can actually play before the experience is over but 720 was particularly brutal because you could actually run out of lives as well. Um, but that game was, you know, that's part of Midway Arcade Treasures that I absolutely loved. Um, Defender and Defender 2. Um, Defender, of course, was made by Eugene Jarvis, um, who is one of the game gods um, of, of our industry. And um, I remember just, I don't even know how old I was, but putting coins into that machine and how loud it was. Um and playing that and having, you know, the, the ability to go left and right and saving people at the same time, um, killing ships and the explosions that happened on screen were, were so incredible. Um, Gauntlet was another game that had come out of, uh, uh, um, I think it was, uh, I think, actually Gauntlet was Midway, yeah? That wasn't an Atari game. Do you know um, what I, no, I It might have been Atari. Wait, no, it was an Atari game. Was it was be, yeah, it was Atari. Midway, I think Atari did. Yeah, I just remember it was Ed Log was the the designer of that. Um, and yeah, it was. I think, I think Gauntlet was an arcade game, but you know when Midway had acquired Atari, it became part of Midway. Uh, anyhow, um, Gauntlet was such incredible, and we still laugh about that to this day, right? You know, Red Wizard needs food badly. Um, but uh, and then and then Joust. Um, I don't know if you if. Have you played Joust before? Do you know that one? I have played like passing emulated versions of Joust. I've never been able to play an actual arcade version of Joust. It's so fun. I so I went to um Colette and I just went to uh Dallas for the fourth of July. Um we were lucky yeah. enough that uh Randy and Christy Pitchford uh invited us to come spend the fourth of July with them in Dallas. We had a great time and Randy took us uh to the National Video Game Museum. Um and we had the most incredible time. And Joust was there. So at the end of it, you actually go into an arcade. And Joust is one of the arcade games there. And um, for me, it's so fun because Colette's a little bit younger than I am. So I'm like, oh, my God. And this is Joust, right? So I bring her over and I, <laughs> I put the you know put the coins in. And I forget that Joust had this weird thing where it wasn't drop-in, drop-out co-op, which is such an important thing for, for game design. Also something that's a little bit tricky to do based on your game design. But... Like when you put your coins in, you have to hit two player in order for two people to spawn simultaneously to play together. Yeah. Um, but Joust was one that I just loved because I loved the mechanics. I loved that it had like, you know, early physics to it. Um, and so anyway, Joust is one of the ones that I love. Um, Marble Madness was a great one. If you remember in the arcades, the controls of actually, you know, moving the ball around. Um, that was a great one. Uh Paperboy, which I constantly use even now in reference, is um, is another game that uh, Atari and Midway had created that um, was one where it's like whenever I feel like there are too many things going wrong in a day, I'm always like, I feel like Paperboy right now. 
Um, <laughs> I was actually for the project that I'm working on. I referenced this just the other day. The project that I'm working on. Um, I was recording a video, and the first in, in my living room, and the first video I recorded after we were done. Uh, the person that was here with me at the time goes. That video was actually really great, but there's a problem. And I was like, what's the problem? It's like I can hear someone outside who's actually mowing the lawn. So we have to redo it. So I'm like, all right, fine. So we you know, reshoot the video, do it again. And I'm like, how did that take turn out? And the guy goes, geez, you know, um, that was an interesting take. Uh, but at the same time, there's a guy outside right now that's using a weed whacker. And so now this, you know, the sound of someone whacking the weeds, right, with this machine. is now. So I'm like, all right, fine, let's do it again. We do it again. And, and then he's like, I actually I can hear an I can hear the air conditioning blowing out of the vents. Um, and so the sound of, you know, right, of, of just like close the vents. Wrong. Right. And then, of course, the last thing that happened was and this is the paperboy element made me think of it. Was I'm like, all right, we'll do one final take. And then halfway through as I'm doing that take, if you can believe this, there is a boy outside of my apartment that's playing the fucking trumpet. Right? <laughs> right? Where That's when I was like, all right, whatever. We didn't do this on another day. And if you play Paperboy, though, it's very similar, right? Where it's like, look, all I'm trying to do is deliver these papers, right? But like some jerks break dancing in the middle of the sidewalk. Some guy's rolling a tire down the street and this thing's on fire. And uh, oh, the Grim Reaper just showed up, right? So it's, uh, again, one of those, one of those games I just love. Out of this list, though, I'm you know especially when I talk about um, some of the games like NBA Jam, NFL Blitz, um, Mortal Kombat, ironically, which are not included in these, but um, uh, are were, were big midway games. Smash yeah, TV, huge of course, midway as games. well. Yeah, those um, those ones were so important to me. As was Spy Hunter, um, that whole you know da na 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 na, and George Gomez, who was the creator of Spy Hunter, um, was also one of my mentors. Um, uh, someone's very important to me personally, um, you know, was all of those games that had, had been done by Midway and Atari um, were just so impactful for my life. So that's why I have to have this game with me. Um, the big thing, though, that's important here is is actually that score-based games, especially if I'm on a deserted island, but score-based games in general are so are so cool and so important and something that we forget about all the time. They, they appear in mobile games and some console games as well, but that whole like um, Facebook games too, that whole social status of having the highest score or having the best of the best, however, you know, a designer decides to represent it, yeah. you know, score or whatever. That is something that is so critical to, to games and gaming in general um, and I love the fact that these that a lot of these old games have scores and high scores and things to look at to try and beat even above and beyond just, you know, uh, having a story. Forget the story. It's about, you know, can you actually beat this person's high score and that competitive nature of gaming? And that's why a lot of these old arcade games were were so important to me and are still so important to me. Robotron is um, just incredible. If 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 anyone listening right now hasn't played Robotron 2084, um, play that game and well, try to get as high score shall as you we, can. Shall we move on to the next game then? I guess we should, yeah. I'm, I'm kind of droning on. All right, next one, go. Speaking of the next yeah. game, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> we should jump into a game designed by Eugene Jarvis. Yeah. And that goes, 
So let's listen to some music from this next game, and uh, let's talk about the game you've just mentioned. <laughs> yeah, Robotron. <laughs> So as you already know, the next game on Johnny's list is another arcade game that was released, what was it, back? Oh, what, uh, 1982, I, I think, this game yeah. was released. Developed yeah. by Eugene Jarvis and uh, yeah. Larry DeMar. Um, developed under the banner of VidKids. It was released, <laughs> Also, re- it's also referred to as just Robotron, but its full title is Robotron 2084. Yeah. Johnny, it's like a multi-directional shooter game, isn't it? Or something like yeah. that where you're yeah, like top it is. down. Um, yep. But why is this the next game you're going to be taking with you? I'm going to go back to just its score. It's about having a high score. It's about having a score that you can, you know, that you can achieve and, and or, or, or try to achieve. And for me, when I was working at Midway in Chicago, we had a lunchroom and they had a Robotron machine in that lunchroom. And going into that lunchroom and, you know, I knew people's uh, initials, um, uh, you know, who had the highest scores. And then also yeah. learning from people and being able to play um, that game with uh, Eugene as well as Mark Turmel. So uh, Mark Turmel was Eugene's protege. Um, and so, so actually to be able to play those games with both of those guys and understand and learn um, and Mark, of course, who had such a huge impact on, on my career, um, you know, bringing me into, to actual video game development. That was one of those things that again, kind of just goes way back deep down into my core of great game mechanics, um, uh, good AI Twitch controls, um, and a different type of control scheme. I think than than most of the other games that were out there at the time, I mean, that dual stick shooter doing that was just such a, a, a different experience. And then watching how uh, Mark himself had adapted that dual stick shooting into Smash TV and how that would um, continue later on and and even to present day be layered on by other game developers um, is something to me that is is a big part of the reason why that's an important game. But having that that score to go against that high score, I mean, all these old arcade games, right? having that high score to compete against um, yeah. and creating your own high score and then being able to go back and be like, you know, can I beat it again? I've already died twice. Should I actually just die again and restart from the beginning so like I have all of my lives back? Or will this be the game where I actually have played the best <laughs> game I've ever played in my life? And that moment that we all have when we play those types of games, I mean, that's the type of stuff that's just – some of the some of the DNA of games are just I absolutely love, and it's a big part of the reason why that's on the list. So, it, while you're going to a deserted island, you have obviously you have this game. The next game we're going to talk about as well is an arcade game, and uh, you know you have this sort of collection of arcade games too. If you're going to go to a deserted island and spend all this time getting high scores, would you rather have you know some of the people you used to play against already put scores on there for you to beat or would you just be interested in trying to beat your own score all the time like trying it, just to get the highest you can so it doesn't it doesn't matter right i mean specifically in the theme of your show it doesn't matter because if i had the high scores there from friends it's fun to beat them what's important there is remembering who they were as people how they played that game and my memories with that person okay. when i put my own initials into it 
it gives me a chance for me as Johnny V to go and beat my own score. But what's also fun, again, like in the theme of your show is, you know, pretending that I am someone else and creating an alias that allows me to go and think about, you know, who is this person on this deserted island that's playing this game and actually kind of create my own environment, my own narrative, my own social circle of all these different types of personalities that could be playing these games and what their backstory <laughs> is and who yeah. were their parents and do they have siblings and what were they like as people and that kind of thing. So a bit of my so you, creative side coming out, I think. You, you, that's amazing because that's, that's the kind of thing that's going to keep you – I don't know, keep you com uh, company while you're stuck in such a place. Or also we used to talk about, you know, staving off insanity in such a place. Like, mm. I mean, I don't know whether that's embracing it or is a safe side towards denying it for a while. Yeah. <laughs> but right? it's definitely, that's a point. it's definitely a creative way of dealing with the situation I have placed you in. <laughs> yeah, ex absolutely. Making the most of it. I like guests who make the most of it. And that, that is definitely, definitely making the most of it <laughs> <laughs> i mean i think like and and with robotron i think you know if you kind of look back at everything that i'm talking about it's for me personally a lot of this is all about invoking memories and feelings and learning from people uh, uh much smarter than i am and aspiring to be maybe one day as great as those people um and so when i talk about uh, you know, Eugene Jarvis, and, and we talk about um, uh, Miyamoto, and, and when we talk about, you know, Termel and George Gomez and all these guys and Tim Schafer and all these people that worked on all these great games. Um, a lot of that for me is like, don't forget your roots. Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget who you are. Yeah. And that's why I choose. Uh, I've chosen a lot of these that we've talked about so far. Well, should, we should speak about another game by yeah. Miyamoto then, and another game that's quite influential upon the entire industry as a whole, even before you know the days of the NES and the Genesis for knowing your roots, and it's another arcade game. So let's listen to some very iconic music from this next game, and let's dive straight into the second <laughs> to last this. game on your list, Johnny. Fair enough. So the second to last game on Johnny's list is another arcade game. It's a platformer. It's a sequel as well, which is unique. Um, mm. Some people tend to have a favorite between the two, either the first one, Donkey Kong, or the next one, which was released in 1982, directed and developed by Shigeru Miyamoto. But it was produced by the one and only Gunpei Yokoi. Yeah. 
it is of course Donkey Kong Jr. Yeah. Oh. Um so again, just like to get this out of the way for for all of your listeners, right? There's there's a high score element to this and the, a scoring element that I love this. But there's also this whole now, you know, knowing everything about video games, like Mario being a bad guy. Yeah. This to me was something that was so interesting. Um, not when I was little, I had no idea what the hell was going on, but looking back <laughs> on it now, but this idea of um, this young ape um, going to save his father was something that was always just so like, it just, it spoke so much to me. Um, the sound effects of the game as well um, were fun. I always giggle because when I see Donkey Kong Jr., even when I look back at this now and I see him climbing up one vine um, and moving slowly, it looks like he has a sad face, right? And yeah. he's looking at you like sad face, right? But think about how brilliant that is from a design perspective where it's like actually what I'm trying to do is tell the player that they can move much more quickly if they switch over to two vines. And I'm deliberately going to make that first vine actually longer so you have to jump up to get to that longer vine first so you can actually see the mechanics of you moving slowly and he has a sad face versus when you turn over he actually looks much more like how you would know uh, an ape to actually, you know, move up and swing around from vines. There's just, there is so much inside of that game that is just brilliant. Um, and, uh, and, you know, playing it, the design of the cabinet itself, when you walked up to it again, is, is something that to me was so special about it. Um, there was a, in my hometown, there was a, uh, a hot dog place that opened up that was called Piccadilly Circus. And they had, yeah, they had, (laughs) they had a Donkey Kong Jr. machine there. And that's when I first experienced Donkey Kong Jr. I remember just playing it over and over. And of course I sucked at it, but I could see, right, here's Donkey Kong who I've seen in um, uh, uh, the original Donkey Kong game, right? And um, he's trapped in a cage and he looks upset and he looks very powerful. And then here's Mario and he's got this thing. I don't know what these are. They look like shoes um, but they're kind of like, I don't know, I guess they're like alligators and they bite you. And then, you know, here's this little monkey that isn't necessarily hurting Mario, but he's, he's getting to a location to help out his dad. And I thought that that was just, to me, it's just spoke so much. It was so cool because it was a sequel and I just, and I love the mechanics of the game. And then there's also like some really funny stuff about like how far you can jump and how far down you can fall and some of those things that you know even even today in modern games about you know balancing how far you need to you need to jump or knowing how much damage you're going to take when you fall um that still that you know that that came out in Donkey Kong Jr that I think is just so interesting and of course timing as well not yeah. only timing as the different the different, um, you know, alligator traps. God, someone's probably making fun of me right now as I'm saying that. But whatever they're called, right, are coming down the vines themselves. You jumping on those on those trampolines or those springs to get extra height. Um, yeah, yeah, just that's uh, it's such an incredible game. <laughs> Colette just walked in. Am I talking to her? I think I am. This is why I'm going to marry a PR because she can tell me when I've gone on too long. <laughs> what game am I up to? I'm on Donkey Kong Jr. There's one more after this. Oh, 
There is only one more. Yeah, but it's the it's a big one. Yeah, it is a big one. It is so a big anyway. one and a very emotional one. Like all of these games have been incredibly emotional. And Johnny, it has been a pleasure listening to you talk about them. And oh, thanks, man. That I Appreciate have a kindred spirit with you in the sense that you can get so passionate and enthusiastic and emotional about talking about these games. And it's been so amazing hearing these stories. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate it. And thank you for the honor of being on your show. It's been a pleasure having you. So why don't we listen to some wonderful music from this next game and dive into the last game, the final game on Johnny's list. So we're coming into the final game now on Johnny's list today. And I, it's a very important one, I imagine, for you, Johnny. Um, yeah. One you still think about daily. and Both happy or, and... Or I'm reminded about daily, right? <laughs> yeah, reminded of daily with all the tweets, I imagine. Still hundreds of thousands of people still playing it. Still on store, in-store shelves. People still picking it up and stuff like that. And unfortunately, it wasn't... I I don't know. You know way more than anyone ever will. Yeah, um, fair enough. But the next game is a game that came out by Disney and Avalanche Software as well. It uh, released, what was it, 2013 originally for the PlayStation yeah. 3, Xbox 360, Wii, Wii U, and 3DS. It was on so many yeah. platforms. It's the Toys to Life. Excellent. Wonderful series. I really, truly did enjoy playing this game. The action-adventure sandbox video game. Disney Infinity. Yeah. Johnny, it is the last ah. game you're taking with you. Yeah, I mean, I I was thinking to myself like, one of the games you have to have on the deserted island is one of the games you actually worked on, right? Um, for the sole fact of being able to, if anything, just go through the credits list and remind yourself of all the incredibly talented and wonderful people that you worked with. Yeah, um, and think someone, about, some, it's a surprise you to say that someone tweeted a listener of the show. I think it's the first or second time someone of the show has been playing GTA five, finished it and then saw my names in the credits and has tweeted the, a picture of the credits at me. And then surrounding my name is all the names of my friends who I worked with. And I was just like, Oh yeah, those times. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think practically what's fun was um, from a game perspective was the toy box mode because it you know in air quotes again like allowed you to tell your own stories and very much like as i talk about you know donkey kong jr and as i talk about like in secret of monkey island you know what what was behind that tree for a younger generation when when we had put together disney infinity and we put together that toy box mode 
sure, of course, the characters emoted when they ran into each other for the first time, and that was a you know nightmare for Clarence. But if you have to remember, in the mind of a younger gamer, they are filling in so many of the holes that yeah you didn't have time as a designer or whatever role you are to actually fill in. And when you had that mode where all the different characters were coming together, you were able to, and, and we saw it all the time when we started doing testing. That's when we were like, we've got lightning in a bottle here. And we saw kids taking Mr. Incredible and then um, taking Elsa. And, uh, well, that's a bad example because Frozen came out after. But, like, how about Mr. Incredible and Buzz Lightyear, right? When we saw um, people taking those characters that they knew and combining them together and telling their own stories, that's when... Um, we knew that we had lightning in a bottle. We knew that we had something special. And there were so many people that told us we couldn't do what we did. Um, mashing up the characters, integrating even, you know, the Marvel characters with the Disney characters and the Star Wars characters with the Marvel characters and yeah. the Disney characters. And um, what a journey that was for myself and the entire team and um everything that we did because we had we had you know i would say it was 2010 um where that like you know really kind of lit on fire in terms of development um that was uh there was there were so many roadblocks there was just so much stuff um but i have some of the most incredible memories and some of the most incredible stories from being um involved in that and friendships to this day that are uh just so important to me and so powerful to me and such great memories and um when i think about what's important to me now i mean when i started at disney it was like i actually i, I took the job at disney because as i had mentioned earlier like george gomez who had worked on uh spy hunter um he actually had worked on the original tron arcade game and someone who was at Midway when I was there um, would eventually end up at Disney uh, as vice president of production and um, had courted me and said, hey, what do you think about moving out to Los Angeles and uh, working here at Disney Interactive and having the opportunity to work on Tron and a reboot of Tron? And again, like that was something that because George was so impactful to my career um, and here's someone that I worked with at Midway offering me this opportunity and yeah. hey, hey, I could follow in his footsteps and, you know, Tron, Tron came out and did what it did. But um, in the time where I had started at Disney and then moved on to what would become Disney Infinity, I, I met a lot of people and I came from a very different world because I came from the trenches. Um, so in the video game industry, right, you've got people that work at on the publishing side meaning they're responsible for like QA and marketing. And, um, you know, there's, there's, uh, publishing side producers that are making sure that the developers are, you know, on time and on schedule. Yeah. Uh, and then there's the quote unquote being in the trenches where you're actually doing the day to day development of a, of a project. Yeah. And working at Midway, that's what I had been doing for nearly a decade and at Vogster entertainment, you know, doing the same thing. So, I immediately found uh, a lot of very close friends because Disney owned all these internal studios and the people that had been working with um, prior to me joining were all publishing side people that were like 
the game should be like this. It should play like this. I've got demographic data and the demographic data says that they're not going to like this particular art style because of these particular reasons. And so when I came in there, I was like, eh, my job isn't to tell you guys how to make a game because you guys have been making games longer than I have. And um, you can make and, and you've made better games than I, I could ever dream of making. My job now on this side is actually to protect you from this type of politics and this type of crazy stuff that's happening. That's good. And yeah. yeah and it, it, it kind of flipped it on its ear. And it's part of the reason why infinity, I'd like to think it's part of the reason why infinity ended up getting made was because there was this development mindset of do everything you can to make the best experience you possibly can for people and deliver on this, this dream of people being able to play games the way they want to, just the same way they played with, we all played with toys growing up. And, um, it was this just this crazy mix of um, entrepreneurship in that um, we had to convince everyone all the way up to Bob Iger that we should make this game, convince all of the property holders that it was okay for these IPs to mix together to create a art style and a creative conceit that allowed them to mix together because, of course, you know, Sully from Monsters Incredible uh, Monsters Inc is 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 twelve feet tall versus Mister Incredible who's six feet tall and yeah okay so I mean all of those things just this huge mix and all of the talent and um, it was uh, it was a fantastic experience and I haven't talked about it um, ever really publicly but it was uh, an incredibly to see it go it was an incredibly sad moment um, it it was no fault of 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 the team at all. Um, and you know, I won't talk about what all the reasons were, but, uh, what I will say is that, um, even to this day, uh, people still hold it in high regard. Um, I think that if you were going to exit, um, I'm glad that, you know, we did what we did cause it was like, you know, while we're on top, right. Um, yeah, it was so weird because it just came out of left field. I remember the reactions yeah. to it and everyone was just like, what the? what the fuck? Like this <laughs> yeah. is like making money. It's like Disney's big video game thing at the moment. Like nothing's happening with kingdom hearts. Nothing's happening with like the Mickey, like platforming games. Like there's nothing really video game wise happening for Disney, but this huge toys to life thing, which is like the massive thing. And Amiibo Skylands is all still huge. And just everyone's like, what what the fuck i don't remember there were guys like in the games media and developers who were like big collectors of it and you know they were like all excited about all the star wars ones and they're just like this is ridiculous like why is this happening like yeah i so i can't even imagine that what was going on in this internally it was uh yeah yeah i mean it was um there's there's stories for days on all of it um and i always say like uh uh I've written down a lot of these um, topics and I've, I've written a few short stories of just my own experience um, and some of the stuff that we went through. And I mean, even when it was all said and done, it was interesting to see Patrick Klepek wrote a pretty interesting article in Kotaku that outlined a lot of the things that um, if you were three times removed from the, the kind of the core of, of the infinity team, yeah, those were some of the IPs that we were working on. That was some of the stuff that we were talking about. Um, but 
at one point there's a great story about where we actually thought this was supposed to go and grow and evolve and mature into within Disney. And, um, I'm not ready to talk about it now, but at, at some point we, at some point I will, or I'll write a, a book or something like that. that I think, well, be, uh, you can write a book on the deserted island and ship it back to me. And I'll yeah, sure exactly. Yeah, exactly. But, um, more importantly, it's just, it's a, it's a, for me, it's a, it's being allowed to build and create inside the toy box, being allowed to um, tell stories. I think the community interaction, that was one thing that I, I learned and I, I keep with me today is um, it's not like, oh, I have these followers and these are fans. Like I consider these people friends and they're just as much into video games as, as I am. And so I loved interacting with the community. It was a huge, a huge moment for me um, developmentally um, where I was like, you know, not only is, is doing production or doing design or business development important in day to day, but making sure that you, you have a community, you drive a community and you let those people know that they're just as important as, as you are, yeah. um, regardless of your title, but you know, what you do day to day and, and having their voice um, is such an important thing. There was, yeah, the, the, it's a big part of the reason why Infinity's on there, and it's something I'm proud of. Um, and I think the Massive, entire team is proud massively of. proud of such a. It's because it's not. It wasn't just like a game. It was like a. It was a into a new space. Obviously, we had Amiibos and Skylanders and that kind of thing that was happening, and, and it's before Amiibos, and it wasn't just a game. It was like this new genre, this new thing, and it wasn't. Like, I think a lot of things that start out, new genres and stuff like that, like the first Skylanders was kind of like Rocky, but Disney Infinity, like, hit it off, like, immediately. Like, it was like, yeah. this is a good game. It has, like, not just, like, the play mode and stuff, but it has, like, this other thing that is going to interest creative people to be creative and mess around with, you know, their favorite characters and that kind of thing. It wasn't it wasn't just a game. It wasn't like a, one of the, like a, Oh, this year's release. It was like, Oh, this thing is like here to stay. This is going to be yeah. like three years down well, the line. I'm going to be, playing that was the this. hope. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, exactly. I can imagine like, it felt like that. Like, this is like something I'm going to be playing with the figures I have on my shelf, like in like two years time. And it's going to be something I come back to now and again to play. It wasn't just a game. So yeah. you should definitely be proud of that. I mean, I feel like I, uh, I owe the story. Um, to people, right? One person in particular, I feel like I owe the story to is uh, Brian Crescente, um, who actually wrote this uh, wrote this headline where it's like Disney is one hundred percent behind Infinity, um, and there was a there's a, a funny set of circumstances that led up to me saying what I said in that moment. Um, but I feel like I, regardless of, I, I feel personally responsible. Like I, I owe him an explanation as to why I said that because it makes it seem like I didn't know what was going on in the background. Um, or I was being, um, you know, not saying the right thing or deceitful or whatever. Yeah. Um, but I also feel like I, I owe it to the fans at some point and not just me, right? Like a bunch of people. And so I just, um, uh, I'm not ready to talk about it. And I don't know when, if, when, if ever I would be willing to talk about it. But, um, the thing is this, is that I feel like, um, probably the best way to put this is, uh, the entire team, uh, and myself, we hope we created something that um, people loved and will cherish and will talk about um, for years. 
and we hope that we created something that I'm not saying is a big bump, but is somewhere on Disney's timeline of some of the great things that they have done. And um, I think that that's uh, I think that that's important. That's and that's why I would take it with me um, onto the deserted island. Is if you can imagine having all those toys there um, and being able to, you know, put your own personal spin onto who those characters are, what they do, and what they mean inside of your own world, Johnny V on a deserted island. Um, <laughs> and and that's like a little bit of a hint of. Again, like, you know, a story was told if you were three rings removed, but where we were going was so much more sophisticated. I think that that's, that's the type of thing is that you have a personal relationship with these characters because you know their quote-unquote origin story from what you've seen in films, but now you can uh, input your own personality onto those characters and live out and create adventures with those characters um, in ways that have never been done before. And... Um, yeah, a little bit of a kind of a wink and a nod into what we what we were thinking about kind of at the in terms of the brain trust of Infinity. But um, at the same time, why it is such an important game for for me to bring with me to this deserted island. So and you are absolutely welcome to it and all the sets. And yeah, the first version and 3.0 and the Marvel version as well. So. You can have all of it, Johnny. Thank you. I would you. not deny, although you did cheat earlier, I won't deny you this. That was such, I'll, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I did that one. No, it was just okay. like, <laughs> it was more so I could just riff on like the nostalgia of Midway and just how incredible <laughs> Midway was. So uh, apologies but, to, to you and all your listeners on that, that one. No, I'm sure the listeners are happy to hear about more games than just eight, but you can definitely take all of the Infinity catalog and all the sets and all the awesome little figures that you can put on your little shelf on melee island in the bar and stuff like that so yeah oh. sounds sounds like a pretty good setup you've got going for you definitely <laughs> definitely a johnny v island yeah exactly i can i can only imagine <laughs> uh the uh the picture of that you know what that would look like oh be so much i can fun. picture it in my head as well <laughs> yeah i am so sorry by the way for talking for so long um, no it's been an absolute pleasure and unfortunately i i can only say unfortunately because it has been such a pleasure to finally after a year <laughs> it's been worth the wait and oh thanks, it's man. been absolutely worth the wait and it's been such a pleasure listening to your stories johnny and the emotional connection you have with the games and i think to sort of say i feel like when i started the show and the ideas i had this was exactly what i had in mind like this kind of episode <laughs> is exactly what i had in mind Aww. it was during a time when we had all the horrible gamergate stuff and i thought like let's be positive about video games because video games are going to be fun and they're going to have like, these great memories we have connected to them and every time i write to a potential guest or something the paragraph i always have is you know the stories that we have connected to video games and how we how our lives are maybe affected or have led to moments through video games and stuff like that and yeah. i feel like this episode is the exact epitome of such a paragraph about final games so johnny thank you so much oh, for coming on the show you're today. welcome i got i got a message the other day from uh on twitter from uh paul over at sumo digital they're doing uh, crackdown three right now yeah and um it was just it was a picture of um dudes from uh studio gobo that worked on infinity um guys from avalanche guys from sumo and guys from ninja theory and uh it was like you know miss you john vignaki and um i teared up 
And then Blackburn actually texted me uh, the same picture. <laughs> and it was funny. <laughs> he wrote, missing one asshole. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think probably just the, the most important thing just to leave you and, and all your listeners with is, um, you know, uh, in the game industry, it's okay to – I mean, we're all nerds and we're dorks and, you know, that kind of thing. It's okay to to be open and honest about your feelings. Um, never forget – um, your history and never forget where you came from the people that impacted your lives celebrate those things celebrate those games cherish those memories and share them because you never know how your own experiences may impact someone um, to become the next great video game developer or designer or or leader um, in whatever field that they go into so Absolutely. thanks so much for giving me a chance to to share some of the things that have inspired me no and um thank you everyone for listening thank you it's so awesome. much Tony. thank you so much for it. it's been an absolute pleasure and i'm sure everyone who's listening so far just appreciates you so much for coming on the show so johnny before you leave then yeah i have to ask you one last question what's that and that's uh we talk about games on final games but one of yeah. the important things about video games especially in a world where we have amazing multiple systems where we have you know games like guitar hero where you use like a guitar and like we have disney infinity where you use toys and stuff like that we play games in a multiple variety of different ways and one of the most Mm -hmm. important parts is how we play games and uh, i feel like a big part of that is the consoles we play like the systems we play so if you could only take one system with you Oh, geez. If you can only oh, take geez. one system with you, thinking of the back catalog in your head and maybe the way you interact with that console and stuff like that. If you can only take one console with you, what would you take? I Like, so <laughs> as much as I'm like, ah, it's a cop out. If you say something contemporary right now, it's the switch. Um, I would take the switch with me. I can, um, I can, I can fully, I'm, boop, boop, I'm all aboard that train. I think that the Nintendo switch is um an incredible system i think the idea of console to go mobile to stay is um is genius um i think the fact that it has motion controls built into the controllers i think the fact that you can if there ever were someone that were to come to that same deserted island that would want to play with me the ability for me not to have another controller and them just to use one of the joy cons is fantastic yeah um i think the design of it again like going back to nintendo the fact that it's designed like um, it's a toy and, and and so as a younger audience can approach it because it's like, oh, this is interesting, but an older audience can appreciate kind of the magic of how it works and yeah. and how you can play with it is fun. I think that you can connect it to a television and you can take it to go. It's fun. Um, it is a uh, it's an incredible system. And the weird thing is that if you're on a deserted island, um, you have to imagine that technology is not going to um increase in terms of you know uh how much more graphical prowess you can have or or those um those types of processing power you can have that those yeah it will you you will be stuck in a time capsule essentially right and so to me then what's the most important thing it's creating fun and innovative gameplay mechanics and i think if you just even if we go back through my list, right, it's like those things, those memories and the way those games played and what they did and the mechanics that they had um, are, are, are what's the most important DNA of a video game. And and I think that it's cool because I think that, you know, with the switch and the amount of things that it can possibly do right now, um, saying that any new games that would come out on the Nintendo shop uh, 
the fact that in order to impress and um, make people excited about what that content is, you'd have to be working on new gameplay mechanics. I think that that's, that's something special. So I, I would never look at technology as a limitation. Uh, yeah. Your imagination and how you layer on gameplay mechanics and make things new again is, is really what's the most important thing when it comes to video games. Excellent. Well, you can so take, I would the, take switch the Switch with, with you. me. Yeah, yeah. You, can take, you can take the Switch alongside the eight wonderful games that you've chosen as well. And Johnny, thank you so much for coming on the show today. So Absolutely. please tell the wonderful people who've listened so far and enjoyed this episode where they can find you on the internet and if there is anything they should be checking out or at least keeping their ears or eyes out for the maybe <laughs> in a year's time or so. Yeah, um, nothing, nothing to announce. But uh, if you ever want to... Um, Get a hold of me. Um, I'm at John Vignocchi on Twitter. Um, that's probably the the easiest way to get a hold of me. I'm I'm also the same name at John Vignocchi on uh, Instagram. And um, just in general, I think the, the the most important thing is like don't forget about me. <laughs> at some point, I promise uh, I'll be able to talk about all the great, cool new things that um, I'm working on. But um, for anyone that listened right now, thank you. I know this was super long, but thank you for listening for uh, three hours plus of me ramble <laughs> about memories and emotions in games. Um, and uh, thank you, Liam, for, for having me on. No, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank to you chase so me much. down and, and corner me to do this. <laughs> I was nervous and scared, and I'm a big dork. And I can see Colette already giving me dirty looks because I'm supposed to barbecue right now for the future in-laws. <laughs> so um, I should definitely go. But thank you. We'll, thank you everyone we'll for listening and thank you for having me. It's awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much, Johnny. It's been an absolute pleasure. So thank you so much for listening to this episode of Final Games. Uh, of course, you can find Final Games as always on soundcloud.com forward slash Final Games Podcast. You can also find it on iTunes where you can rate and review it. That would be great. You can also find it on Acast, Stitcher, Podbean, all those wonderful podcasting networks. You can find me on Twitter at LiamBME where I talk about Japan and games and game development and nonsense. Uh, you can also find the show at Final Games Show. And if you would like to support the show or help out in any way, we do have a Patreon that recently people have been amazingly supportive of and it's grown so much and it's helping towards some interesting new projects that i'm hoping i can talk about soon enough um, but if you would like to support the show you can go to patreon.com forward slash final games and other than that thank you for listening to this episode of final games thank you so much to johnny for appearing on the show and i hope to see you again next week goodbye bye guys 